Black History Month, but that does not mean that we reached the end of our blackness, and that's why we are still here still for here. another episode of the Jigsaw Podcast, your favorite podcast with your friendly neighborhood Casa Negroes. Yep. I am Josh Rogers. I am Brian Hare. And we are the brothers, the co-hosts of this podcast, where we yep. talk about how to navigate the craziest puzzle piece ever created. Mm-hmm. Particularly, we talk about the perils, yes. the phrases, the productivity, and the pomp and circumstance of being black millennials just trying to figure it out. Brian. Yes. How are you? Man, it's always it's a, always a great day to be black. Oh yes, uh, it is. We're in the land of the living. Hallelujah! Uh, and that's all we can ask for. <laughs> Excuse me. My God, <coughs> my God, my God. I have a, I have a slight cough. My you know, God. the man of God has been you know out in the streets. So okay. uh, the hair household has been under the weather. My ooh, the whole house. The whole house on President's Day, even. Listen, cover us with the blood, Lord. Yeesh. Protect this house. Ish my God, send your send. Ah, you said that you was wounded for our transgression. Yes, <laughs> bruised for eyes, nickel. Mm. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. But mm. what, Brian, by his by what his stripes we are healed. Here I by shy. And they said it is sick among you. Call mm. the elders of the church. Bring your face to this camera. <laughs> uh, touch of God. Oh, touch of God. It touch of God. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Ooh, be healed. I feel that. Be set be de- free. <laughs> be delivered. <laughs> he, what Mr. Mason would say, you over yonder in your hush pictures. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good impression. impression yes. That's so good. <laughs> That's so spot on, man. Yeah, I've listened to him a lot. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mason was, you know, quite the inspiration in my very, very young mm-hmm. um, salvation days. But anyway, well, I do really hope y'all feel better. Because it, it just sucks to be sick anytime. Yeah. And then when yeah. the whole family's down, it makes it makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So where did you go? Because I feel like we're about to start a trip. I'm traveling starting tomorrow, not for anything like we want to celebrate um, Ashley's grandfather's life. But mm-hmm. did you just come from out of town again? Uh, I think the last week. I don't know if I said I went to the Bahamas before. You did. That was last episode. And then recently I went to D.C. So. Okay. So. That's that. Any more trips coming up? Because I feel like we're about to have a bunch of trip chronicles. Yeah. Um, I'll still be going to Charlotte this weekend. I might clear that because of, you know, right. health challenges. Uh, then the weekend after that, I'm supposed to be in NYC. Mm, the weekend okay. after that, I'm supposed to be potentially in Dallas. Okay. Uh, weekend after that, I don't know. Then I think at some point, at the end of March, I'm supposed to be in Orlando. Mm. So we'll be out here. We're, we like the niggas in pairs. Um, <laughs> I've been in Minnesota this week uh, with family. Mm-hmm. And then from Minnesota, I've been in America's Georgia. Oh, my the God. Global White South. The land of the free. Um, my, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to be the exact speed limit. Uh, <laughs> um, that's in deep southern Georgia. And then fast forward to middle of March, I'll be in Memphis on my dad's 60th birthday. Mm. Happy birthday, Jamie. Yep. Directly after that, I'll be taking a flight to New York for a week. And then in April, I might be in your home state, LA. Got to confirm that. Well, your home state is California, but I might be in LA. 
Mm-hmm. And then, oh, and I'll be back in Minnesota in April, but this time for work. Okay. Um, and then I'll be in, um, where would I be? I will be in Chicago once in May and then once in June. Bless so, you. like, my trips are about two to three weeks spread out each mm-hmm. so right now. Um, but yeah, it's about just this sky miles is all I can say. <laughs> Thank God for sky miles. Like, I mean, I, that's if 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 nothing else, that is the beauty of all the travel. It's the sky yeah. miles, racking them hoes up. It's Listen, it's amazing. So when I do travel personally, mm-hmm. I ain't got to pay for it. Mm-mm. My hotel miles are crazy. I got hundreds of points for hotels. I got car rentals. I got sky miles. So we straight, I'm just I'm just racking them up. You know, my God. so my what God. I'm trying to do is, you know, I'm trying to get as many trips in. For my mm. current role, mm. as I can, mm. um, use up all that budget. So if I get this new job, then I, you know, getting that transition, it, where I probably won't be in the air as much. Gotcha. I, I was about to say, does the new role potentially <coughs> not require you to travel, or just not as much? Oh no, it requires me to travel. Okay. Uh, so, but uh, I don't know. You know, you got to go through training and stuff like sure. that and all that kind sure. of stuff. So, um, so prayerfully, I got another interview soon like next week or something like that are these virtual or are you ever going in person for any of this and are these all virtual interviews and then okay um yeah so we'll see what's up um but listen if if i get this new role We're the bag the bag is nice and we are going to party hard okay party 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 like a nigga just got out of jail mm-hmm. that's what gucci man said <laughs> uh, yeah. shout out my nigga gucci, <laughs> <laughs> my nigga gucci. <laughs> Oh, I need that on the shirt. Um, so I want I want to bring something up real quick. It's not a living room conversation. Maybe mm-hmm. we can maybe we can bring in some mature people and have it one day. Okay. But do you watch All American Homecoming? I do. I I'm not caught up though. Okay. So this this season, and the only reason I'm caught up is because I'm gonna, I'm gonna just put this slight caveat out there. Y'all know I do not watch the CW on purpose for nothing. <laughs> so I will always wait until All American Homecoming and this original version hits Netflix and just binge mm-hmm. it. Yep. However, we've been in a season where like there's not a lot of good TV on, at least not at the same time. Right. So I was like, I need some like some of the days where I was just kind of like resting. I'm like, I don't want to watch Living Single again. <laughs> right. Like so, what can so I anyway um, on YouTube TV? I started recording All American Homecoming and been watching mm-hmm. it kind of in real time. So okay, this season, not to give anything away, I will say they lean into their Greek culture. Okay. And it's interesting. So, just real quick, just your thoughts on like Greek TV life. You know, <sighs> I know we've seen it in several iterations outside mm-hmm. of this, but like, is it accurate? Do we feel like they're doing too much? Is it necessary? Like, I feel like are they exposing too much? Because sometimes they they say some things and do some things. Yeah, uh, I feel like um, it's there's different is different spaces on that spectrum. Like, I feel yeah. in some places it's like hella corny. Yeah, like you know, mm-hmm. but then sometimes it's people who ha- aren't in fraternities or sororities who are writing these things. So it's kind of like white people who were writing stories for black people have no clue <laughs> about black culture. Same thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then also like Francis Gronish when Junior was online, they really had to kind of. It was only one episode. We don't know if he ever crossed. We don't know any of these things. Like it was I real. He, I think they did finish. They did finish. Okay, so yeah. they, they compacted everything within like a thirty-minute episode, mm-hmm. and they had to show like the whole process of you know bonding and all that kind of stuff. Um, I watched. I saw uh, Burning Sands recently. That was interesting. Burning Sands. Was that the one with Kier? No, Burning Sands was with uh, Trevor. What's the dude from um, Trevor? Jack- okay, and that's the one when they like was in the woods and somebody got hurt. 
Yes. Okay. I, okay. I feel like I watched that when it first came out. It's just that. Okay. 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 Yeah, I've seen Stomp the Yard. Yeah, I've seen the different things, and I feel like it's it's like I said earlier. It sometimes they go too far. Sometimes yeah. it's real corny. It's sometimes real corny. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That yeah. looks familiar. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, and you know, even Insecure, where you know, like different season niggas yeah. don't just randomly step at at just random parties and stuff like that though like who does that you know i'm maybe i, I did I did, a, I did a grad experience so maybe people just start stepping randomly at um you know i've never <laughs> I, you know so i i, I didn't I, I had a grad experience as well <coughs> however i was fully immersed in hbcu culture mm-hmm. and in events and i will say no one randomly but of course just like you would see now if wipe me down um, look, if you book like some of those kind of more traditional mm-hmm. um, Greek songs come on, then people may start strolling, especially if yeah. you with your LBs. But like mm-hmm. you said, ain't, we ain't just gonna be like, oh, let's hit it. Yeah. <laughs> like, not, that's just not, <laughs> not out of the blue. Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, way too much dip on your chip. <laughs> I think one of the best examples I've ever seen was A Different World, not because I'm a stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was, first of all, they made the, they did a wonderful job having like real Greek representation in the background. While highlighting the ones Whitney and um, and Ron were in, mm-hmm. and they did it like a and you know back in the eighties, early nineties, they did pledge above ground. Yeah. So like they, but they did some. I mean, and some of that probably was like um, dramatized for television as well. Yep. But it seemed very from some of the old heads I know, it seemed very on par. At least what they could do in television, right? Mm-hmm. With what they were experiencing, you know, yeah. lining them up in public places, mm-hmm. making them say certain things. You know, and all that different kind of stuff. And like I said, it was a comedic effect, but it wasn't corny. Whereas right. something you always centered around the the, the step, but mm-hmm. I feel like it got real corny, so especially like Neo. What was the what was the thing? Knucklehead, whatever it was. Like <laughs> that was just a lot. You know, so I ain't never chop, seen nothing like pork chop or whatever it was and <laughs> extra gravy. Like all yeah. that. It was just like, come on. Um, and then even like Columbus Short's character, mm-hmm. that type of person would have never really made line anywhere. Like, nah, he was a Bucking the yeah. system from the beginning, bro. You would have, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying. Um, I think we don't need you. That, that's yeah, exactly. The, that's the, the yeah. And no. and no shade, and I'm not shading anybody who come from a tough background. But Columbus Short really had nothing going for himself on that college campus right. at all. And you were a freshman, so it's like, <laughs> what? Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, I felt like stuff, y'all. If we were going just going to Greek life and not just the stepping part of it, it would have been great to see like a Columbus Short's evolution. If it was a show. And then we mm-hmm. see him like junior year, how he learned more and pledged. Like, and that's one of the things I feel like with Greek life stuff, I feel like even if you get it right, somebody's always going to be upset. Mm-hmm. Even if you had like a whole team of writers and all of it was in the D9. I feel yeah. like some, and that's possible because I'm sure there are so many D9 writers and people out yeah. there. But I just feel like somebody's going to be upset um, at some point because, you know, every, and then the other thing about everybody's experience, their entryway their um how they got to know greek life is so different and nuanced that you can't tell a collective story but i will say this once you catch up on all american homecoming Mm -hmm. it's corny but (laughs) it is it is but i feel like i feel like they i feel like it's a solid attempt i'm gonna say it that way and i also feel like because this is focused on HBCU life, you can't adequately tell that story mm-hmm. without somebody in that mm-hmm. main character at least expressing interest. You know what I'm saying? Because it just it's just it's ubiquitous to it's yeah. ubiquitous to college life specifically yeah, yeah. 
HBCUs. Yeah, without um, a doubt. So yeah, so I think that I think that they're doing a I think it's a solid attempt. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think to your point, Brian, there are some white and or black people <laughs> who are either removed from because even some of that HBCU storylines, I'd be like, <laughs> all right. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like the, the president's office is like in the student center. Sitting up and she's just watching everybody from. I'm like, this is so unreal. <laughs> like the person office is legit. Be like in the admin building, like away from all of us niggas. Uh, they do not be coming down like unless they walk in the camp. They do not just be accessible like that. Like what? Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, watch it and maybe we can like bring Chancy on. We can mm-hmm. bring some of our other Greek friends, yeah. um, men and women, just and maybe have that conversation because I just I don't know. I feel like it's getting more and more pervasive on more shows. Like you see, yeah. grownish, all American. I'm sure this won't be the last time we'll see it in some other spaces. So I'm just interested. Um, Family Reunion, the I Netflix agree. show, they did it when they went to the college tour and they had like the Sigmas and yeah, so it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when you when you cross? Your, your spring? Spring 17. Spring 17. <laughs> so I'm spring 2022. So we probably need to do a Greek episode probably around that time just because. Hey, let's do it. it. Let's do it. Listen, live planning, live planning. <laughs> I feel like that's a conversation because in every black show, for the most part, yeah. I feel like there is a because it's a, it's an element of so church is an element of black culture, Greek life is an element, of black, element of black culture. Yeah, like you said, even in Insecure, like it wasn't like overt, but you had Tiffany, but she's the only Greek person in the. Well, Molly was taking Molly was yeah, yeah yeah, but that's the thing though. <clears throat> I'm I don't go stay here too long, like. We had, so we had Greek Sunday recently, so HBCU slash Greek Sunday. So everybody wore the either the HBCU stuff or Greek stuff. Itself, considering some churches stands on Greek culture. Yeah, like but our pastor, <laughs> and my pastor, and first lady are both Greek, so it's mm-hmm. it makes sense. But then also, if you either went to HBCU or you're just black and educated, right? You you come in contact with Greek life yes. in some capacity. Yeah, it's kind of like the it's kind of like the thing, like you just. You you go in, in a certain direction, but yeah, you know, that's just. And then you know, and I know we're not supposed to be live playing in front of y'all. But we can even <laughs> we can even talk through like some <laughs> of the fraternal, and I'm talking about fraternal in the greater sense of brother and sisterhood elements mm-hmm. of like even HBCUs, like Morehouse orientation is mm-hmm. legit like a hell week. They mm-hmm. wake at one night, they wake us up at like three in the morning. <laughs> we have like <laughs> this parent pardon ceremony where we like cross over, like it is. A thing, and then a just thing. for the brotherhood of Morehouse in itself, and I even see the sisterhood of Spellman, and then you think about some of these organizations in Atlanta, um, like the um, Emerging One Hundred, yeah, and stuff like that. One Hundred Black Men, that's, that's the next step, and then you have the historic society of like the Links for Black mm-hmm. Women, yeah, and yeah, Jack and Jill that. for kids, yeah. and like all these other different types of things, like you know, so these kind of brotherhood and sisterhoods that exist, um, and just like this, how Black people have always. Exist in the community. I'm going to say this live, and none of you niggas better not take my idea. But mm. I'm working on a concept, Brian, to like really. I don't know if it's going to become a paper, an article, a project, a, a room. I don't know what it is, but I really want to do some deep research as community as a science, mm-hmm. um, and really like discover like the power and the technology behind like black communal gatherings. Yeah, um, <clears throat> particularly well, communal gatherings, particularly black folk. I yeah. just really feel like community is like we talk about tech and all this other kind of stuff, but I think like I'm a social scientist. 
So yeah. I feel like I want to look at what, how does that translate in community? What does that mean? So anyway, that could be a whole conversation. Oh yeah, um, community I, is I, a, yeah, Oof. yeah, church community, Greek community. Like, That's there's so many exactly. Yeah, I love, I love the conversation. <laughs> I love conversations regarding community and culture. Yes. That's like my. That's my thing. I love it. That's a good juice. But so we won't get stuck. I didn't want us to get stuck there because I knew that could have. That's why I put it right there because I was like, oh, I don't want us to get too stuck. But yeah. last week we did something <laughs> great. Okay. And Brian gave us what was a Negro black anthem from R&B. I did. I did. Um, and side note, one of our OG listeners, one of our OG supporters, Sean Gatlin, mm-hmm. called us out in the comments and said, where's the 1993 R&B playlist? Mm. So. I'm not gonna say we're gonna give you one, but we might, we may or may not be working on one to put out there. So yeah. Brian and I are gonna put our heads together, find some '93 songs. Yes, and we're gonna give y'all. Should, should we do? Should we throw rap in there too? Should we just do full '93? I feel like we should do full '93. Just okay. I feel like when I, we'll think about it. We'll do R and B first, and then if we feel like hip hop, you know, makes some sense, we'll put this hip hop in there too. Okay. So Brian gave us a song that he was like saying is perfect, and I'm gonna give you pretty much. He knows what. My description is like I'm give you the only song that can that can compete with it. Okay. Here we go. I think I know what that is. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Came out in the same year. Take us to Tevin. What we say now? Woo! That just feels Girl, so good. Girl, I <laughs> want to know your name. Sing the song, Brian. Can we talk for a minute? Uh-huh. Girl, I want to know your name. <sighs> I started yes. to write you less, yes. <laughs> but I wanted yeah to be more clever. Yes, mm. I'm gonna stop. Y'all know what that is. It's so good. I, I ain't make good voice, and I, I don't know lyrics. And I know lyrics. I know the lyrics. <laughs> Get down and sweet talk, you. Oh, no, are right, we done? Hey, baby. And just like a baby, I could not talk. Yes. And I tried to come closer, but could not walk. And I dreamed of it ever since. Now I built up my comfort. This that next, next time you come my way, I know just what to say. 
Can we talk? Can we talk, baby? Can we talk for a minute? <laughs> Go to that meal. That's yeah, a song. That is a song, man. It's timeless. Brian, take it to the bridge. Oh, girl. There we go. One more chance <laughs> with you again. I will not let it go. Oh, please give me just one more chance for love, 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 love. Uh, 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 for, uh, uh, for a minute. For a minute. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't in the right, I wasn't in the right key. But That's all right. Key, but we are, we I, everywhere. <laughs> we everywhere vocally that, today, but that is a song. Man, God, man, God was high. I could not. I Oof. can't get up there right now. Mm-hmm. That is Tevin Campbell. It's so good. So we good. should do a karaoke night. My God. My God. Ooh, we should. Brian, we got to start right this. <laughs> this is just ooh. black cheeks on Casa Negro karaoke. Oh. <laughs> My God. Oh, I'm excited. Costume okay. karaoke. Yes. Ooh. Write that down, bro. Write that down. Put that in your notebook. Put that down. We write that Put that down. in your notebook. <laughs> Negro. While you doing that, I'm just gonna bust this second out up on you. I'm gonna just I'm gonna okay. sneak this up on you real fast. I really do. So we began to be friends and we began to date. And um, you know, I began to get all the cocaine I wanted for free. How many of you know it wasn't for free? <laughs> <laughs> But we came home, me and this young man, and we began to live <laughs> together. And he was still selling drugs, and I began to make drops for him. I was <laughs> dropping off cocaine and making a lot of foolish uh, turns in my life. And my life began to do this spiral down. I was going to hell. That was fun. One night, as I was getting loaded, I began to pass out. <laughs> And my head hit the wall. <laughs> and I began to slide down the wall. And as I came to, all of my bodily fluids were doing their own thing. And I was dying. But Probably I had a praying grandmother. Yeah, that is. If you grew up in the church. Listen. That listen. is a, a seven-minute testimony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from none other than songstress. She sang with B.B. King and Shaka Khan mm-hmm. and Rufus. <laughs> and it's Helen Baylor. Helen's testimony is the, is the name of the song. It is listen, yes, it is. Listen, Helen so Baylor. I'm lifting up the name of Jesus. If you want more Helen Baylor, if you want more Helen Baylor, yes. So anyway, that is. Can we talk by Tevin Campbell? The Helen's testimony by Helen Baylor as we close out with Negro Appreciation Month strong. Yes. Yes. I said we honestly Brian gave us be optimistic last week. I said I got I got one to one up that. Listen, I got some, I got some one up. Hell that. that's more not a song, it's but not it's even still a, a song. song. But it's a song. <laughs> she had a praying grandmother. <laughs> she comes in like every every 45 seconds with that. I she knew enough to call on the name <laughs> of Jesus. <laughs> It's so good. What year did that come out? Oh, oh, let me see real quick. Don't let it be 93. If it's 93, it's making the list. It's making the list. She had an album in 93, too, called Start All Over. No, it mm. wasn't in 93. Because mm. I played it from her greatest hits. Okay. Uh, whew, let me see. Release date, 94. Yep. I was just clicking on the live that experience. 90s, came out in 94. That 90s music, brother. 
So, so Chris, Chris, friend of the, Chris Moore, friend of the podcast, friend of real life on our on our team, mm-hmm. uh, he said that what he said about two thousand music. He said that two thousand was. He said two thousand R and B was something around the fact that it was more in line with our feelings or something. And I was like, it was good, but I can't yeah, so agree with it. <laughs> I was so I listened to a music soul chart interview, um, and I was listening to some things in general. Mm-hmm. And oh, I was listening to um, Drew Hill recently. So, mm-hmm. Music Soul Child, he said his career started really in 2000. Okay. Drew Hill kind of was popular really like 2000s-ish. So, my, my thought process was 2000 was just a replication of early 90s. It was kind of like the inspiration. Yeah, so, for sure. So, you know, because music was like, I want to be like D'Angelo. Drew Hill, I want to be like Jodeci. So, it was really a thing. I think 2000s was great because it was like, yeah. They were trying to be Yeah, they continue like somebody. Yeah. Like even uh, like early Destiny Child, I'm sure that they were inspired by the SWVs, the Invogues, the SWV, yeah. like some of that was in there, right? So and but they evolved into like some of these pop groups. And mm-hmm. we saw how RB eventually evolved with yep. um everybody who was out. And even how some of the rappers started singing mm-hmm. and having more RB artists on their tracks and not just sampling them, but actually having them on there. So yep. anyway, we we will get stuck again on music, but um those are the songs of the week. And yeah. Brian, are you ready to go to the uh, Blessed Report and get to some Black Excellence? Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. All right, we're here at the Blessed Report. We shout out black folks doing great black things. We are super excited because even in Black History Month, we don't just, you know, do this because of Black History Month. Yeah. We do it every single episode. So every, every what, 52 weeks, 52 weeks of the year. Right, something like we that. Because we ain't here all. Some, we, but yeah. we, yeah, we take, take vacations. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yep, something like um, that. But we do shout out black folks on great black things. We shout out black businesses. So if you know somebody who has a black business that you want to get a bless up, um, let us know. Hit us up in the DM. Uh, if you have a black business that you feel like you know is 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 bless up worthy, let us know as well. We love to patronize black business. It's Black History Month. We have black stuff on. I have a black person's t-shirt on. I got a black hat on. Yep. Josh has black people stuff on. We we support black people all the time. We we believe in buying black. So if mm-hmm. there's something you think that, you know, a product you have that you feel like we should probably purchase, or you want to give it to us and let us try it out, and we'll, you know, say something great that. about it. We'll love a box. We'll love we'll, unboxing. Yes, we will unbox on the podcast <laughs> and give you all kind of love and support because we do believe in supporting black people at all time. We're only rooting for people black. Um, not only, but mainly. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so bless up. You oh, got a strong black name here. <laughs> yes, it is. Unique Jones Gibson. Mm-hmm. That's spelled E U N I Q U E. That is unique. Unique. Her dad's name was her mom's name is probably Eunice or grandma's name is Eunice. Mm-hmm. Um Dominic may have been in there somewhere. Someone somewhere. Something. Eugene might have been in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's part mm. of the EU right there. Daddy the was EU Eugene. That Eugene. And he ain't go by Eugene by Gene. He went by Gene. Gene. Yeah. If they give him no you didn't give him no son. So he said, oh, we're gonna put that in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, unique. Dominique and Eugene had a child, unique. Okay. Uh-huh. There it goes. <laughs> Jones Gibson. All right. So here goes. Unique Jones Gibson, the Happy Hughes Company. Okay. Mm-hmm. Quick, quick backstory. Three years ago, Unique was potty training her little girl and came came to the realization that there was a little, only a little bit of representation in the baby care industry, birthing the idea for the Happy Hughes collection. 
right? Or company. Excuse me. Company. The first product to release from the new line of something called Big Ups, the shea butter infused training pants that are designed to keep your toddler comfortable, motivated, and on the move. Mm -hmm. The disposable training pants are not only designed to protect your child, but also to bring positive reinforcement to your child's potty training phase. There are currently two designs available, right? For purchase, you can actually buy them right now. One is called Super Me. The design has young superheroes heroes printed on them. And the other one is I Am, which has affirmations printed all over them. On each package, it's amazing because it has a QR code that will actually lead you to a special animated series featuring four diverse members of Happy Huge Crew. This is dope because Unique is also the founder of Culture Tags, so a game that we love to play. Love, and yeah. because of them, we can. So she's an entrepreneur, black woman doing all the great Serial black things. Right, serial entrepreneur, um, which, again, for those that aren't familiar, uh, because of them, we can is a uh, website, but also a, a social media page platform, mm-hmm. a platform, social media uh, page that allows and shows for uh, highlighting black folks doing great black things, black history, and just achievement overall. Um, so shout out, bless up to Unique um, and HappyHughes.com. Bless up to Culture Tag. Bless up to Because of Them We Can. Um, I wish I would have known about this when cause my daughter's three. We could have been using these in our household. I know. Is, is Brooklyn mm-hmm. still in the training? Potty training oh, phase? Nah, she's been out. She, about, well, yeah, 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 she got done. She she got potty trained like early twos. Got you. Yeah, I think because I, I read some up on it a little bit earlier, and I think they just dropped. So you didn't mm. you didn't really miss it. Okay. Yeah, you didn't so, really miss all it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's dope though. I we yeah. definitely had, you know, little white people on our on our potty on yeah. our, what, what what are they called? Pull ups. That's what they call it. Like yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm I'm that is that's dope. Is uh is dope. Um Rest. I don't see anything on the rest up report. Yeah. I feel like somebody well, died, but they his, weren't black. Since it's President's Day, you know, Jimmy Carter just went into hospice. Oh, bless So him. he might be about to fly up out of here. Oh, well, pray for Jimmy Carter. He loved the Lord. <laughs> he did love the Lord. He was a he one-term president. He didn't do one-term a, president. He didn't do a terrible amount of damage. Mm-mm. Um, so. Yeah. Shout out to shout out shout out shout Jimmy shout out to my shout nigga Jimmy, Jimmy. <laughs> shout out to my nigga <laughs> <laughs> his name was G- what is his real name let's go it can't be nigga, nigga went by Jimmy it can't be it if can't he be. if he went by if his name was Jimmy then his mama must mess with a nigga um and he James Earl James Carter okay. Junior <laughs> that is actually pretty African African American that is a black name his name is James Earl Carter Junior his daddy name was James Earl. <laughs> James Earl is <laughs> so black. Wow. And the thing about Jimmy Carter, like he was a Democratic president, went to Sunday school, with all that kind of stuff. He wasn't anti-black. I don't think there's anything in the, his history that I saw. Yeah, yeah. That so I was, saying, he didn't do damn. Like I can't say that he was a big advocate, but no. he definitely wasn't like out here wreaking havoc on the blacks. Mm-mm. Did the nigga after him wreaked hella havoc? At mm-hmm. that Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. wreaked hella havoc, starting in California, and then he went to the presidency. Um, I think I just think Jimmy Jimmy had a bad hand, you know. Cost of stuff, prices were going up, stuff like that, mm-hmm. oil prices and hostage negotiations, stuff like that. He had a had a bad time. What does Twinkie say? Suicide rates <laughs> going up, <laughs> homicide rates go. Oh, side note. Mm-hmm. 
well, let's bring Hard Knock Books to the Billboard. This ain't a okay. picture on the Billboard, but Solange is doing like this, like music residency thing somewhere in New York, and okay. she brought Tinky, Twinkie to be one of those people in residency. She's like showcase her wow. talent, talking about the history of her work, and you you know the you know the Knowles love the Clark sisters. <laughs> they do. So they love the Clark. I, I would say the Knowles and the Carters. They love the Clark sisters. <laughs> um, so I thought that was really dope. I really love the fact that while Twinkie. The beautiful thing about Twinkie not having like her throat like she used to, mm-hmm. that hand, them hands ain't going nowhere. Yeah, so she be on that organ, still killing it, and that's where like all the like the Clark sound and the writing mm-hmm. came from, you know. So anyway, I just love the fact that she's getting her flowers. I love the fact that Solange put together these. I want to say it's like I feel like I read it was ten different artists she's highlighting. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but she's highlighting a number of them, and Twinkie is one of them. Um, so I just thought that was really really dope, huh? And I, I didn't know the extent of this. You probably knew the extent of this, but I saw something recently, and it was about. The Clark sisters was specifically <coughs> Twinkie. And they were saying basically she's like a musical genius. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that the, um, that, uh, what's the song? A Miracle? No. The Dun Dun. Oh, Stevie Wonder? I mean, the, the um, that song. Um, I, you Brought the Sunshine. Yeah. You Brought the Sunshine. Master Blast. Was actually on the, on the disco and club playlist. Mm-hmm. And that's how it got popular. It didn't get popular in gospel music at all. It nope. was. It was in Studio 54. Yep. And they were playing it in the middle of like your disco, disco simple music. Yep. And it blew up in the secular world. Yep. And I'm, you know, into this whole uh, argument about, you know, should Christians be in certain places and spaces? That was, niggas was doing lines of cocaine and, and had to and hear that song. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I hear you, bro. Like, I hundred percent hear you, and that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't. Again, we can get stuck on music, but I think, like, I think the the gospel Christian influence does not have to be confounded to the four walls of a church yeah. or any traditional, I guess, norms that we have. Because Twinkie didn't even. First of all, she sampled Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Right, so already because she like she's you know she snuck and listened to some Stevie like the beat you know because <laughs> you know, Maddie Moss wasn't playing that, um, but then but the intention of it was literally not to be across like the song says you say like basically it's a song about salvation yeah it's literally a song about the the beauty of salvation yeah like you made my day you came my way right? yeah. You gave me peace, right? Like, you know, it's like everything God did since then. You brought the sunshine, you Ooh, brought the sunshine, chills, man. right? Throughout <laughs> the lifeline, like, and then now that I have found Christ, there has been, been such, such a, a change, change in my, in my life. life. Jesus is the answer, He breaks every fetter. It really doesn't matter. There's nothing impossible, nothing intangible, blah blah blah, like all that, bro. <laughs> the church rejected that song, my nigga. Yes. And it yes. was played in the club and on secular radio station. Yes. And it's a clearly a gospel song because of the lyrics. Clearly a gospel song because of the lyrics. But only because it had like a reggae-ish beat. They weren't rocking with it. And it became today still one of the most popular. Like if anybody's familiar with gospel music, they going to know several Kirk Franklin songs. Mm-hmm. A couple of Mary Marys. Yep. Um, maybe one or two like Hezekiah Walkers or something like that because like, mm-hmm. he had a couple of popular ones. Of course, uh, Marvin Sapp with the Never Would Have Made It and stuff oh, like yeah. that. But like, the, they, but you brought the sunshine. Mm-hmm. It's in there somewhere. And like yep. you said, they were in there dancing, doing lines of coke. You know, living like LGBTQ plus lifestyles. It's when this stuff was like completely damned. 
mm-hmm. right in a certain time. Yep. And that's how that song got popular. That's what got them at the Grammys. Um, the year that they went and performed, and they told Madam House Clark, "You got to make a decision. Um, you know, either you stay president or you stop performing mm-hmm. with your girls and all that different kind of stuff." So, like, you know, shout out to Twinkie and the shout trailblazer that she was because, like, yeah. it was it was like shout out to Twinkie, like the uh, the, the Hawkins. Because, bro, think about this, and we mm-hmm. can ooh, we can jump off. But Edwin Hawkins' "Oh Happy Day" was also rejected by the church. Mm-hmm. When it first came out, like they thought that was not gospel. It was not, and and again, since Jesus washed my sins away, sins it's away. a happy day. I'm happy because he washed, like, and but because it sounded so different than everything else, mm-hmm. like you know what I'm saying. Like these men were troubled. That's like somebody. I think uh, my barber, mm-hmm. my barber's <laughs> my barber's a babe in Christ, so you know he be. Everything is Jesus, and it's cool. It's cute. I remember. Um, he actually my top like five gospel artists, and I was like, ooh. And I was like, Kirk Franklin, of course. Um, Clark Sisters, the Hawkins family, mm-hmm. um, Milton Bronson, because you know mm-hmm. I go well oh, for yeah. Milt, oh, Milt, and then I'm stuck between like John P. Key, um, a few other like just people who could like rotate out of number five for me. But anyway, I was just thinking like all these people really paved the way for like what gospel yes. music is today. So we talk about the Maverick yes. cities and stuff like that. Like, and they, and here's the thing that the argument, and maybe we have to cut the billboard off a little bit because I definitely didn't intend to go down this road. But, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. You can never apologize for talking about Maddie's girl, ever. Okay. <laughs> you ever want to just call me randomly one day and we'll talk about the clock? So we can do it. We can, go, we can go down all five. And Leo, too. I don't know much about Leo, but we can talk about him, too. We talk like, and I guess my biggest beef, and I'm not calling on Maverick City specifically, they're just very popular. My biggest beef, though, with like some of the new artists and the way that Christian music is going mm-hmm. is that a lot of it, when they have conversations, because I've been in these, like me and you've been in some of these new churches. I remember y'all exploring churches. Yeah. And we've had these conversations like, uh-uh, we don't need like, but if it wasn't for Oh Happy Day, if it mm-hmm. wasn't for You Brought the Sunshine, if it wasn't for like Come the Almighty King with- Mm-hmm. Um, what what was oh, his name is right there, Reverend uh, Timothy Wright, right? Yeah. If it wasn't some of those, you know what I'm so saying? Good. If it wasn't mm-hmm. some of those like hip hop kind of, I don't want to call them hip hop, but like more contemporary gospel, what they was considered contemporary at the time, yeah. Like you would not even have a like, yes, Kirk Franklin, but Kirk Franklin wouldn't have been able to do what he did, no, without the Hawkins, without yeah. the Clarks, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Without the people like who was like doing some of the stuff. Before he even did it, he just mm-hmm. he popularized, right? So we go like even if we had a conversation about Little Richard, and he yeah. talks about how he's the emancipator. Like there were emancipators and architects way before Kirk, and way because yeah. Kirk's first album was very church. Oh yeah, he the had family. a couple of like um, now he do got a song on there called Real Love that sounds real R and B. Look in my eyes and you will see he wanted the way that real love used to be like the flowers bloom in the springtime and happiness was all mine yeah it's hard to <laughs> let my feelings show but i gotta let somebody know about the love that jesus has given me he lose my shackles and he signed me free brian is it a dream or is it reality have I finally found someone who loves me? Like, bro, now that song, lyrics, my nigga. But lyrics, like, though, like you know, and that was on his gospel. debut album. But it was God, but he was—it's literally a love song to Christ. But let's go back. Let's keep that conversation going. Twinkie wrote in this '80s, "Jesus is a love song." <laughs> 
<laughs> you see what I'm saying? So like we like anyway, like I hate the fact that the new generation tries to like erase gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we gotta go all the way back to the Hawkins and stuff like that, but I feel like there is something foundational in what was built. Yep. And a lot of these people think what they're doing now is new. It's and not. it's not. Like I mm. came across this old Walter Hawkins song called Um um jesus is a rock or as a rock or something like that bro and mm-hmm. that thing is so good yeah it is so but it's churchy it's like church mixed with anthem mixed with like contemporary well i'll talk about his bag or that day or something yeah but like but but it's very it's very lyric heavy too so again mm-hmm. speak going to the maverick city like y'all ain't doing nothing new no. like some of this stuff still existed so anyway but that, i don't want to say but that's what bothers me about Maverick City. Like, we need to come. We need to come. an episode on gospel music and the, and one. this <laughs> and this new generation of thinking yeah. like y'all being like rebellious and like kind of be cool and y'all love Jesus more than the, maybe the previous generation because we were they were they ritualistic. Hell yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, without a doubt. You know what I'm saying? Are they super traditional? Without Absolutely. a doubt. Absolutely. But there was there was folks dogmatic. Even Twinkie and them were young when they wrote these songs, so they were in the midst of a church that was dogmatic and ritualistic, and they said. I'm going to make this song in the midst of this. So all of us at a certain point in our lives grow yes. up in a dogmatic ritualistic talk, church. Talk, Brian. Talk, Brian. <laughs> and then we we come to this realization like, oh, who Jesus really is. And then we 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 present like that, right? So Maverick City, y'all not doing nothing new. You know what I'm saying? You just, you're basically doing what everybody else did. John P. Key, drug dealer, cokehead, all that kind of stuff. Finds Jesus Christ, makes all these songs for... Because he played in the secular world, make all these songs, and Tank Tank says it all the time. John P. Key is the person who set the whole youth on fire. Fred Hammond set the mm-hmm. like commissioned was freaking Maverick City, and they were boys and men, and were using freaking commissioned yes. runs like like that's not act like y'all started this thing. Yes, that's not. <laughs> you yes. know what I'm saying? Do your history. Even BBCC, like we we joke it about them. them up love, right? <laughs> we joke about like that. It was kind of weird for brothers and sisters to be doing that, but like they paved like before there was all these like artists who like I'm gonna make a love song. I'm gonna do this. Like they were already. It's been were, done. The wine is in Anita Baker. It's one of the best collabs out here. Marvin and Anita on ain't a track. Ain't no need to worry. Do you know the you know the gospel butter that is sitting on that album? <laughs> what the <sighs> night is gonna bring. It's gonna be, it'll all over. be all over, and and a lot life. of this stuff going back to Twinkie since we had our conversation started. Twinkie has been in several conversations. She was like, when she was praying for a song, she would literally go to her last Bible study moment, mm-hmm. open up their Bible, and start interpreting scripture and start writing lyrics. Like so, not only was this, and again, we're only using Maverick City, y'all, because they're super popular. Yeah. But no like, shade to them. Yeah, no shade to them. Because I think what they're doing is great for this time. I'm not yeah. the biggest fan of their, like any of that kind of gospel per se, but I enjoy some of it, right? Um, but what I'm going to say is that they weren't just like, one thing I've noticed about the new age gospel of Christian music is that it is a very, they sing from a very personal place to God, which is fine, yeah. which mm-hmm. is absolutely fine. Right. But some of these other songs too, like they were talking about from back in the day, while they were like progressive and innovative at their time, they were mm-hmm. deeply rooted in scripture. Yeah. I mean, deeply yes. rooted in, in scripture. Yes. So it was like, not only was it like, and, and that's what makes it so, the dichotomy of how the church rejected it. So like, why yeah. would you reject the song that's literally singing out line by line sometimes almost? Like Karen's Balm and Gilead. It's very mm-hmm. 90s, but it's like literally, he's called a Balm and Gilead and, and freaking, like, like, yeah. 
Yes. Medicine used in the Bible days to heal the sick. Like, like that's literal text. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? So anyway. Um, hey, that's, that's a whole episode. That's, that's, a, whole episode. that's a whole episode. That's a whole episode. And, and, and I feel Easter's like, coming ooh, up, so we might need to do a uh, walk Pentecost or something. We need some like real walk Easter something. We need some real theologians slash gospel artists who are going to be... Um, I don't, even, I don't even want to touch the billboard because I feel like that was it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give these two highlights. One, uh, I'll save this for next week. So we, you know, because I need to get this out of the way. The weekend. People still listen to him. I think I think people do because The Weeknd is the first artist to ever have three diamond singles from one album. Jesus. Beauty Behind the Mind. I don't even know what Beauty Behind the Mind. Is that mm-hmm. the album that I can't feel my face? Is that that one? Because if it is, I know that song. I, I, you can't. But that's I, so toxic. Yeah, because I, I know I've heard that song before, but I can't. I can't feel my I'm face when I'm with you. I don't mm. want that kind of love. I don't mm. want a paraplegic love. <laughs> I, I don't want a love that's going to have me feeling like I didn't got a. Uh, what's the shot that the women get when they uh giving birth? Epidural. I don't want no epidural love. I want to feel <laughs> this. You see what I'm saying? My God. Okay. The other thing that I'll bring up since we're talking about music, I'll keep it music focused real fast. We're going to talk about Breezy. I feel like we do need to have a conversation about Breezy and what's going on. Um, oh, the NBA All-Star Weekend happened. The first time Giannis, Giannis Akataka Namuko beat mm. <laughs> um, LeBron James Nim. John Jaron was on opposite team. Jason Tatum became the Kobe MVP. Um, Giannis only played one play. LeBron only played one half. And <laughs> one of the coaches went down and said this was the worst basketball game in NBA history. And they need yeah, to change the NBA it. format. <clears throat> I didn't. I, I actually was having um, uh, some – Blavity launched a new brand. Mm-hmm. So I was having like – um, hanging out with some of them who were still in town. And then I had scheduled a meeting slash like social dinner with some of the people from Forbes, the culture. So Sweet. I was like, out. I mean, it was, we yeah. were at a restaurant where it was on, but just engaged in conversation. Anyway, the only other thing that I want to get to, um, cause we have a really, really, really great living room that I'm excited to get to as well. And Brian, I'm, I just want to, I want to give you your flowers since we all about giving flowers. Okay. I'm going to do a shout okay. out. Thank you so much for that. That conversation brought me so much joy. Um, it did. It in a world joy. where people, you know, where, uh, you know, where it seems as if, especially on this podcast, people think that we don't listen to gospel music anymore. I was, it's really enjoyable to sit down and discuss the nuances of gospel music, particularly as it is centered around Elber Nita, Twinkie Clark, <laughs> formerly Terrell, um, and, and the Clark sisters and Manny Moss Clark. And just, but I cannot wait to go deeper into that. Um, yeah. Anyway, the last thing on the billboard that I wanted to get into uh, for us to kind of have a quick discussion, Brian. Um, pointed out for us last week about the Billboard 50th top rappers. Mm-hmm. And what we didn't get to was Ja Rule. Oh. And Ja Rule <laughs> said, and I just, I just, I, I couldn't proceed in life, Brian, <laughs> without having this conversation. Ja Rule said that there are not 50 <laughs> rappers dead, alive, or yet to be born mm. that are better than him. So okay. I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. Some journal, some media outlets went with that and said, Ja Rule says there are no rappers better than him. Ja Rule responds and says is that that's not what I said. Stop being clickbaity. Don't play mm-hmm. with me. Technically, that is exactly <laughs> what you said. You said that there are not 50 rappers. He said, what I said, it ain't 50 rappers that should be above me. So basically what you're saying, you should be number one. <clears throat> <laughs> or are you saying that there are only 20 rappers that should be above you? Is that what you meant? Because words mean things. Right. Is it mean, did it mean that there should only be maybe 10 rappers? Then you should have said that. But you said they're not 50 dead. And this this is why I know you didn't mean there were 20 or 10. Because you said it ain't 50 dead or alive. Mm. Or yet to be born. That means that there's nobody in the rap category that's better than you. Now, 
Do I agree that Ja Rule should have made the list? I do. Because Ja Rule had a moment in, especially when we look at the criteria of that particular list. We're not talking, like me and Brian discussed this last week, we were not talking about lyricism and best rapper, mm -hmm. but we talk about the influence of singing rappers. Ja Rule was doing mm -hmm. some of that stuff first. The mm -hmm. crossover to the pop, J-Lo and Ja Rule, Ashanti yep. and Ja Rule. Yep. He was doing some of that stuff first. Now, 50, him and 50 Cent beef kind of put a stain on his career. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the whole Fire Festival put another stain yeah. on his yeah. career. But we talk about the moment in time that he had, it was longer than some of the other people's moments in time in terms of yeah. impact, right? Yeah. Ain't nobody out here referencing. And again, this is no shade to LL Cool J. But ain't nobody out here referencing 10 LL Cool J hits. <laughs> I can call off about eight to ten Ja Rule hits, and I'm not saying that Ja Rule is a better rapper. I'm just saying we talk about impact and longevity of one particular period. You know what I'm saying? You can't take that man out of the conversation. Now mm. he should have at least been 49. I'm gonna give him that. <laughs> I'm gonna give him that. Yeah, I'm but sure to say that there's nobody better than Ja Rule, better than absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because I, t I now going back to Lil Cool J, he shouldn't have been in that top 20. He should not have <laughs> been in that top 20, <laughs> and neither should have Big Daddy Kane. And if we're just going to keep it a book, Big Daddy Kane should have been on the list, but 20, Brian, 20 mm. of best yeah. rappers of all time. Yeah, Big I'm Daddy sure there was somebody on the list that was better. <laughs> um, but anyway, so in, your thoughts on Ja Rule not making the list, what he had to say. Yeah, I, he should have been in the 50, but, you know, uh, for him, you know, at a certain level of humility, I can say, I can see him saying, like, listen, I knew I should have been on that list. Um, do I feel like, you know, all those people are better than me? No. I can I, I can honestly say that, you know, let me go back to it before. So hip hop is one of those things you got to, you got to say you're the best, feel you're the best. But and honestly, you're not, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, good and well, you know, good and well, you're not better than. There's than, always a debatable, like five or six. And they're the same five or six, the same five or six. <laughs> right. And it's some, and sometimes you take people out just to make it fair. Take out Big Talk, take out Tupac and Biggie, take out Jay Z because they're just in a different category. Mm -hmm. Still, if we take out those three people, you're still not in even the top, not 10. In the top, not ten. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not even I the top. Would, I would venture to say there's probably a ten that can be rotated depending on the person and their experience with hip hop. Who's and that would be Jay Z, Biggie, Pac, Wayne, Drake, Cole, Kendrick, Stacks, three Stacks for sure. Um, that's eight. Maybe throw Nicki in there if you just talk about, you know, certain pieces of criteria. And a 10 can be a floater between Nas, can be a floater between a, a bunch of different folks, right? Yeah. Um, and But that kind of, that group is going to always be, Eminem can be a floater for 10. Like, that that group is going to mm -hmm. always be in that conversation. Ja Rule, you're never going to be in that group. No. No. I don't think Ja, ja would never, <laughs> ja would never be even in the top 15. Yeah. Like, but to make a Billboard's 50 list based on that criteria, absolutely he should. I think he should have been in that list. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Um, well, with that being said, understood and accepted, y'all. We're yeah. gonna end the Black History Month with something kind of nice. We got our first guest of 2023. We do. Um, wow. so okay. I know first one. Crazy. And y'all know it's a lot of stuff going on in here in America's how they're trying to erase our history. So we're about to deal with it a little bit. We are so grab your drinks, grab your snacks, um, grab your um, what is it? You know, grab your black sea moss. Uh, whatever, whatever it is, it's gonna be real black to bring bring you some greens, some neck bones to the living room. Yeah, we're gonna let y'all eat in the living room today. Let's have a real good conversation. Let's go into this, um, go into the living room and let's do it. Let's do it. Listen, puzzle pieces, we are super excited to be here this time. Thank you for sticking around, first and foremost. Yes. Uh, it is the last, last, last episode. For 
uh, Negro or National Negro Appreciation and Achievement Month. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a great, 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 great uh, broadcast, not broadcast, a great living room segment. Today. Broadcast. Broadcast, like we on the radio. What the, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, a great guest, and I'm super excited, but I think Josh is a little more excited because it's actually his cousin. So I'm going to throw it to him to introduce our wonderful guest uh, that we're excited to have today. Yeah, so she, the person in the living room today is something that we believe white people don't have, and that's a blood cousin, because I've never heard white people <laughs> refer to cousins. So her mama and my grandmama, our sisters, you know, what, what did the uh, EJ Speak say that makes us sick? Whatever it is, we related. What she said, yeah, I know you can't quote them. That's what it is. That's my cousin. <laughs> All the way from Detroit, Michigan, Taylor Lewis, welcome to the living room. Appreciate what up, you for being here. Hey, what up, Dollar? <laughs> Thank up, you though? for having me. <laughs> So can you tell the people a little bit more about who you are, uh, what you do, all that good stuff before we jump into some some other things? Yes. Yeah, so my name is Taylor Lewis and I am from Detroit, Michigan, born and raised, actually went to college here at Michigan State University. So shout out to my alma mater, um, which I know they're going through a difficult time mm -hmm. right now. So um, definitely all of my concerns with them. Um but then after leaving Michigan State, I actually went to law school in Washington, D.C. So I am a licensed attorney. I'm actually licensed in Maryland. I went to Howard Law, Howard University School okay. of Law. All right. Also, for those who are, are familiar with it. Um, and I spent about six years in D.C. working um, in education law, actually, um, and decided I wanted to do some more direct service work with young people in particular. And then I moved to Harlem, to New York, um, doing a lot of youth development, uh, moved back to Detroit during the pandemic. And I now run my own learning and development company. So that's just a little bit about me and my unique career path. That's a black journey. I love it. Yeah, I'm say, <laughs> she loves niggas. Harlem. You know what I'm saying? She loves niggas. Listen, Detroit. She said, I can't, I, I can't leave my people. I, can't I do. I, I love black people. I love, I'm very culture-centered. One place she ain't coming to Atlanta yet. That's the, that's the, like, if you went to all the black hotspots, she went to all the black hotspots. And hot my spots. best friend lives in Atlanta. My, I got two, two guy kids in Atlanta, so... Listen, just blackness. I love it. It's <laughs> it's 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 Black History Month. You know, we wear mm -hmm. black things. We you know we we love our culture and heritage and stuff like that. So I appreciate that uh, you getting to uh, the people. But um, it is Black History Month, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know whether this is a transition, but it's Black History Month. I just want to keep saying that. Um, and we on this black show, um, do this game called Culture Code, mm -hmm. and it's about black, you know, culture. Uh, <laughs> culture right <laughs> and you can decide uh between different questions or things of that nature uh how you feel about these topics and make right. a decision okay just to let you know that your answers will be judged you know yeah. all right they will be judged. <laughs> okay so well first we're going to start out with movies okay so okay. uh it's gonna be this or that all right okay. um the Temptations movie or the Five Heartbeats? Oh, the hardest question ever. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with the Temptations movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think I got a little Detroit bias too because of Motown. But I do yeah. love Five Heartbeats, but I got to go with Temptations. 
Okay, I, f- I figured that that would be the answer. To that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, loving basketball or brown sugar? Mm. Um, I'm actually a loving basketball fan. Like just in terms of the 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 movie, but I also grew up really being really into basketball. So once again. Mm-hmm. Bias. I'm a biased person. Um, <laughs> I have no problems admitting sometimes when bias gets the biases. best of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's fine. Being biased is okay. Uh, and un- understand you you know that you have bias. It makes sense. Yes. All right, so, all right. Uh, Angela Bassett, mm. uh-huh. Strong Arms, yep. uh-huh. or Viola Davis. Ooh, snot muscles or snot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, this is this is a hard one. Um, man, I'm, oh, I guess I'm gonna have to go with um Angela Bassett. Just mm-hmm. like over the years, just her body of work, amazing. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, all right, last one in, in our film and our television and movie category. Um, I'm sure Josh would love this one. All Insecure. Right. Mm. <laughs> or, or living single. Mm. <laughs> mm. You know what I'm gonna choose, right? Yeah, <laughs> this was another difficult one, but I'm going to go with living single just because of the nostalgia, just the, <laughs> just, <laughs> just the nostalgia, just laid the groundwork for a lot of those shows we see today. Yes, Khadija didn't walk so Molly Nim can run. Yes. It wouldn't <laughs> happen without it. I'm going to ask a personal, Brian. Is that okay? That's fine. That's fine. This is not a this or that, Taylor, but just because I know this be one of your favorite groups. Your favorite member of the No Limit Camp. <laughs> favorite member of the No Limit Soldiers. Um, <laughs> for sure, Silk the Shocker. Absolutely. Like, absolutely, by far, Silk the Shocker. How? <laughs> The beat be over here and he's over there. Like, he had the hits. It didn't matter if he was on me or not. He came that to me that just made it even more fire. Just that confidence to be like, I'm off beat and I'm still dropping this album. Mm. Yeah, I need somebody to believe in me the way Master people believe this. That's fake. Listen, listen. I was gonna ask I was gonna ask Cash Money or, or No Limit, but that clearly. Oh, it's no limit. Oh, it's gonna be no limit. Clearly. No limit soldier. Yep. No limit soldier. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Interesting. All right. Um, that is. But so, so, what is your love? How are you from Detroit and your this love for no limit? I don't. I don't get that. Hey, I don't even know where it came from, but it definitely came like seventh grade year. Like this, as soon as I saw it, I just was like, man, I'm like, I'm in it. Not even though, oh, I just like it. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. in that. I'm in that camp. I'm a mm. part of it. That's what I Okay. So, so right. yeah. Mia X. All right. Yeah. X was <laughs> All right. Well, bless your heart. Um, so 90s R and B or 90s hip hop. Ooh. Oh, 90s R and B. I'm definitely an R and B girl. Even though I I like hip hop, but R and B for sure. Okay. That's good. Um SWV or Destiny's Child. SWV, SWV is like I I like Destiny's Child, but SWV is that I still listen to SWV like at least once a week, like now present day. We just discussed that week is probably one of the most perfect R&B songs ever created. It doesn't miss. It doesn't. There's nothing (laughs) that can beat it except maybe. Can we talk about Tevin Campbell? Oh yeah, both of those are up there for me. Like. This On the Mount Rushmore of yes. R&B songs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they just got to be 
song at the, at the top of your lung. <laughs> yep. Yes. Holding your chest. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, sweet or savory grits? Mm, I'm going to go savory. It took a long time to answer that question. Because I had to, I had to, I had to think about. I'm not a person who was like how people hate on the other one. Like I'm not like, oh, absolutely not. But for me, I definitely prefer like the 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 savory flavor. Um, yeah, especially like with brunch, all of that. Like, yeah, give me the savory grits. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. This is Black History Month, so I got another question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm X or MLK? Malcolm mm-hmm. X. Yeah, thank. That was a quick answer. Well, right I, I, that, I mean, I got, I got on ball. I got MLK behind me. I got Malcolm X on my desk right here. I'm never without either one of them. So, but mm. definitely Malcolm. I grew up like just in love with Malcolm X, mm-hmm. like from elementary school age. Yeah, I feel you. That's 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 my guy. Um, last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did Harry Tubman never smile at any of her pictures? <laughs> wasn't nothing funny wasn't nothing funny like that's it like wasn't nothing funny happening nothing funny i was i'm tired of y'all niggas listen you got these babies crying these white people chasing me i'm tired we'll we'll smile when we get to freedom all right that was the last one brian that was the last one you did a great job i will give you excellent job no no hard judgment over here no No, except Brian hating no silk to shock a little bit. <laughs> right now, now Joshua Jamal Rogers. What's up? Um, you are you a fan of silk to shocker? I am a fan of the No Limit Soldiers. <laughs> I am, oh, I and that includes that all of them. Yeah, okay. He <laughs> that was a good answer. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? I does this. Uh, Make him certain. Right. Make <laughs> now that was an anthem. We talked about black anthems last and, week. And that was one. Lucky was. Listen. <laughs> Woof, don't get me started, Brackets. I almost um anyway. Um, but wait a minute, real quick. How why we hate on silk, but we give all this love to mystical? Because that man <laughs> was Tourette's on the mic. <laughs> Brian, and then they I'm would def- do a song together too. Just like, Yeah, it's just like what? One guy <laughs> can't a lot catch going on. One is going in front of the beat. It's in front just, of the beat. It's just all over the place. Um, but no, we wanted to have this conversation um yep. today about um Equity in education. So we know a mm-hmm. lot is going on, particularly in that deep, deep southern Florida state. <laughs> um, we don't want to highlight that man down there too much, but he's like, if he's if it's a poster child for racism in education, he is it right now. Yeah. Um, they are creating bills. I just read last week to try to abolish the Department of Education. I don't even know yes. how they're trying to do that. <laughs> um, We've heard CRT and all the stuff that's going around it. So we was like, you know what? Let's end this Black History Month and really, yep. you know, dig deep into the education system, how we can preserve our history, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what this, that's what the, we celebrate Black History, like all throughout the year, right? In this month, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's a good opportunity to talk about it. So um, just want to jump straight into a question. So like being from Detroit, you mm-hmm. know, you know me, you know Taylor, our folk, we from Memphis, right? So black mm-hmm. cities. Yeah. Um, and our black cities get a lot of a lot of grief. Sometimes warranted, many times not. Um, mm-hmm. but within that, you can see sometimes a declining educational system or struggling educational systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanna say, what I wanna ask is like an opposite question. Like in what mm-hmm. ways can you describe, particularly in school systems, like the good that exists within them? Um, yeah, so for me, growing up here in Detroit, um, I grew up in the in the 90s, graduated high school actually in 2004, so like 90s to early 2000s. And during that time, Detroit actually was the blackest city in America. It was probably about 
85%, not 90% black when I was growing mm. up. Um, and it's very interesting because it's in co- it was in contrast to the state of Michigan, which at the time was the most segregated state um, mm. in the United States. So a lot of people don't mm. know that. Like uh, Michigan has a lot of people represented from a lot of different demographics, but everybody, at least, especially at that time in the 90s, is living in their own city, right? In their mm-hmm. own parts of city. So um, you have huge population um, pockets, but they aren't really interacting with each other um, like that. So I think that that set the context for me in terms of going to school. I actually was talking to one of my friends who um, is actually really successful too. He's an engineer. And we were talking about, we went to elementary and high school together. And we were just talking about like how black our elementary school experience (laughs) was in particular, um, because he went to a, um, he went to a Kwanzaa celebration and he was like singing all the songs and doing all the like, all the like clap and stomp and all of this and knew all the definitions for everything. And everybody was looking at him like, Oh, like, how do you know that? And he was like from school. <laughs> and that definitely was like our experience <laughs> at elementary school. And I had to remind him, I'm like, and we were never even in school during Kwanzaa. Like this was just, that was just <laughs> regular. <laughs> in the curriculum, every, just regular every day. And I remember in that school, uh, we actually the and there's a lot of controversy since the Super Bowl mm-hmm. over the national black anthem. We learned the national black anthem. I can remember it in second mm-hmm. grade class on the road, wow. written out right on poster board, going through learning it. One of our first tests for the school we went to in high school, um, for ninth grade, every ninth grader took a test on all three verses of the national black anthem, written mm-hmm. test. Ninth grade, like er- like everybody, right? <laughs> and so for me, this concept of it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that I knew that other people didn't have that black experience. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that other black people didn't grow up with that black experience mm-hmm. until yeah. I went to college, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm meeting people from all over. Michigan State is one of the biggest universities. Um, in the globe, right? Definitely yeah. in America. So it was about 50,000 students who are coming from all over. Mm-hmm. And so I'm meeting Black people from all over. And it's like, wait, what? Like, y'all didn't grow up steeped in Blackness. Like, your educational experience, like, you're still mm-hmm. learning about, mm-hmm. you're just now trying to learn about your history and certain things in college. And now mm-hmm. I think that was the biggest thing to me that I think looking back in hindsight was just so rich and just such a favorable experience, right. To be able, like something good that I think is hard to replicate, um, which is to have these positive educational experiences Mm -hmm. that are centered around your culture. Right. Because Mm -hmm. we still, I still had a, a very good education. I went to public school, K through 12, um, Detroit public schools, um, I was very successful. I was able to like test out of certain classes, um, get it into college, mm. had no problem in college or law school. So I felt very prepared for school in particular. So I think that's one of the myths too, in terms of like traditional public schools, like don't prepare or always fail in black um, students. Like that wasn't my experience. And mm. so I think that that was something that I really cherished and was very like valuable to me. And like, I think definitely an example that they're, there is good in black cities. Mm. There's good mm. in black schools. That's so yeah. good. Cause you made me think about 
especially elementary. So my mm-hmm. I never shout out to Miss Kumi, sixth grade, Kawan <laughs> Kumi. Um, listen, a black name. Um, and after the after we did the Pledge of Allegiance, she used to make us stand up and sing the Black National Anthem every single morning, and then unapologetically told us. This is a moment of silence, but I need y'all to stop and pray. Like she didn't care. <laughs> it was like she was just like it was. It was like your auntie teaching sixth grade. And but that. But to, to your point, when I even when I got to Morehouse, like here's the here's the even the other level of cognitive dissonance here at HBCU and understanding that other black students did not have even a modicum of that experience mm-hmm. because of probably like my wife is from Minneapolis and she was like we learned MLK. And that was really it. So there was no huge push. So like, I think it was a, I'm going to call it a privilege mm-hmm. to grow up in the way that we did and have these oh, yeah, teachers really down. advocating for black history beyond the textbooks. Like I remember even my mom was like, every time a black history project came home, she was like, here's a list of people you cannot do. Mm-hmm. And it was MLK, Rosa Parks, you know, Malcolm X, all like, cause we had learned it. Right. So she was like, mm-hmm. I need you to look mm-hmm. deep. And find the people and do the research. So I think that's absolutely amazing. And to the same thing, I went to a Title I high school, went to Morehouse and was successful, got two master's degrees. Like, you know, I felt very prepared and came from a school. If you go to Memphis and you say its name, they're going to be like, oh, Hillcrest. I'm like, absolutely, Hillcrest. And Nick, and I'm an example of what can come out of, right, those types of schools per se. Um, but absolutely, absolutely on point with that, that uh, elementary school education because Listen, mm-hmm. it was everybody. Grandma was a teacher in my elementary, so like it felt like you know you felt like you was in the neighborhood, and mm-hmm. they were raising you, like they was going through the curriculum, but they were making sure that you were good humans. I think that yes. was the other part as well, and super connected to culture. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan, yeah, and to add a few things to that, so I think one of the great things you see is um, you see your culture mm-hmm. as educators in your community, right? Is the idea of you're seeing somebody. Educating you, and then there's also, also buying. They they they're buying into the community because the kids look like them. They want the kids to succeed. So I feel like they will be a little more prone to success, in my opinion, because you're seeing people as a kid. You're seeing somebody that looks like you who's educated, right? So then mm-hmm. you can see, oh, I can mm-hmm. go to school too. And then the the reverse, you see kids that look like you as a teacher, and you want to impart into them. One random fact that I do know about the national anthem and white people always want to talk about the national anthem why there's a black one and a white one. We actually adopted our anthem first. Just those that are mm-hmm. listening out there. We adopted ours in 1919. They didn't adopt theirs until like 12 or 13 years later. So shouts out to all y'all people who have issues with it the ain't national even anthem. As good. Right. <laughs> right. So just they just neither here nor there. But um and I went to a so back to the school. I went to school, I was as a more multicultural school. So I'm from Southern California, so you had Latinos, Blacks, a couple of whites sprinkled in there and stuff like that, right? So we kind of had to learn about Black history, but also a lot of Latino history, like Cesar Chavez and stuff like that. So um, I would have preferred, you know, my mom is the one that kind of instilled a lot of that Black uh, education and my uncle, Black education into us. We went to Black mm-hmm. libraries. So she was intentional with, you know, teaching us random stuff. So I will say y'all are are extremely blessed um, to have been in environments to where they cultivated your blackness and stuff like that in in during school. That was that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to get off of that, but I wanted to give y'all the kudos that you all are, are in a great great place, <laughs> great place. Um, so within that school that you grew up in, inner city schools. Um, that a lot of that gets attention these days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of right now, my wife she works in Gwinnett County Public Schools, so she understands how the public school systems work. 
Um, she also she's worked at a charter school before, um, haven't worked at a private school as before either. However, we know during integration, private schools became like a thing because white people wanted to get their kids out of the public schools and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, public schools can be underfunded, things of that nature. So for those that don't know, right, public, private, charter. Can you explain the differences and any potential pros and cons of the three? Okay. So when you have, we'll start with a traditional public school. So you're talking mm-hmm. about a school that is structured and funded in a way where it is, is, it's publicly supported. So that means the it's being funded by taxpayer dollars, but it's also mm-hmm. being structured as part of the government, right? So you mm-hmm. have a school board that's elected the same way you would go and vote for other elected representatives, right? Mm-hmm. And in your political elections. So in the way that it's stru- st- structured, um, it's, it's just pretty straightforward of like, it is aligned to government objectives. Okay. You're electing the people who are carrying those objectives out. Their employees mm-hmm. are government employees. Um, so in the same sense that you would see police officers being a union, you'll see public teachers at a traditional public school for the most part, right? Be um, able to be unionized, right? Unless their state has some law um, that says otherwise. But for the most part, it's, it's really like these are, this is a government entity. This is a government mm-hmm. entity with government employees, Um that is being funded by taxpayer taxpayer dollars, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So you will contrast that to, um, let's take a charter school. So what most people refer to as a charter school are actually public charter schools, right? They're still public schools. They're just not traditional public schools. Mm -hmm. And so what's meant by that is that um, these are a lot of times like they're, organizations or they can be a person who wants to like start a school and they get a board together. Um, but they are coming and they're kind of taking over part of what should be the government's um function and that they are mm. they're they're running like they're being they're being chartered out, right? The same way that you might mm. like charter a bus, right? You like uh, the public um the public is chartering like they enter into a contract they're in contract mm-hmm. they have a charter they have to follow they have a contract they have to follow um but the people who are leading that the public is not voting for those people right they're coming mm-hmm. they're appointing the same way that a business might do right a board they're they're structuring with a the board they're having their board meetings but they're not school board meetings they're like that that charter board uh, meetings but they mm-hmm. are still publicly funded like they're still funded through taxpayer dollars so parents are not paying for their children to go to public charter schools so for mm-hmm. a parent especially a parent who is maybe not as politically evo- involved it would feel the same way right like you're not paying anything and you are sending your child to school Right. So if you were not the type of person that's going to school board meetings or voting, paying attention, who's running for something like you may not even <coughs> really feel a difference. Um, part of the difference in terms of what it looks like for em- employees of that is that a lot of times they are not unionized um, and they have a little bit more autonomy to reach um, certain goals like they're still 
they still are held to certain standards. I think there's mm-hmm. a myth that they don't have to meet um, any type of standard at all, right? They they still, they have oversight. They still are like, have different things they have to prove and things like that, but it doesn't look the same that a traditional public school would look, right? Isn't necessarily completely open to the public um, and that kind of situation. Versus a private school, which is, self-governing, self-supported, right? So Mm -hmm. people are paying tuition or they have donors who are donating money Mm -hmm. and then they're giving scholarships and they are governing themselves outside of what a public school, right, would be required to do, Mm -hmm. right? Now they're they're Mm -hmm. still held to the standard of any other type of company in terms of like, Mm -hmm discrimination and and things like that unless you have like parochial schools which are a little different because then you know you may have um those are like religious schools right so then there may be certain Mm -hmm. things you don't have to um comply with from that angle but those are like the basic differences really comes down to how you're structured and how you're funded Mm -hmm. yeah so are there like i guess are there any particular pros and cons yeah, so oh, I yeah. Yeah, so I would say that I'll start off with one of like the glaring pros that you hear a lot of people talk about, which is is really just this aspect of school choice, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of times you will hear proponents of private schools or public charters really talk about um this aspect of parental choice, like that parents get to choose or opt into their schools, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. um Unlike with a traditional public school, your child doesn't have to just go to a certain place based on where you live. Right. Right. That there is a little bit more choice for you to decide what kind of school, what kind of program you want your child to to go to. So that is the main pro that you will hear for um, public charters and also for private schools. Um the pro that you will hear people talk about for public schools is that it is tied to like your community. So people don't mm-hmm. necessarily view that as a negative thing. Like it's tied right. to your community. Your child goes to school with the other people, right? In that community, the full range of other people within that yeah. community, including those with special needs, including those who um, may be not at grade level, like, things like that. Like your child gets the full spectrum of what it's like to interact with people in a public setting, mm-hmm. right? Of like, it's right. not this curated experience where it's just certain people who, you know, don't have, um, don't bring a certain dynamic with them. So, yeah. um, so it kind of all depends on like how you frame it. Cause for some people, that same statement I just made, some people view that exact same statement as a con to public school. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want my child going to school with everybody in the neighborhood, mm. you know? So mm. it, yeah. so I think a lot of the pros and cons really boil down to like how, like what is the purpose of education for you? And like, how do, how do you view it? How do you view it? So I think for certain parents and for me, um, I think when I've interacted with parents, it kind of boils down to whether you take a micro kind of like, look at the purpose of education or whether you take a macro look at the purpose Mm. purpose of education because for people who just want to do what's right just for their child 
Mm-hmm. For a lot of people like that, it seems like a no-brainer, right? They're like, yep, I'm going to get my children to the best possible school I can get them into. Um, but for people who take more of a macro view, then there are some other questions of like, well, then what happens to the other kids? What happens yeah. to the kids who aren't chosen to go there? Like, what is the, mm-hmm. what is the impact on them by you and your child not being at that school right by you not having your voice in that process by you not being a part of that pta by Mm -hmm. the whatever dollars were allocated to your child not following that child like what is the Mm -hmm. impact for the the community of those kids as a whole who are still educated um at this public school so i think that's kind of what it comes down comes down to for most people yeah and i I like that you said that because we have we have all kind of schools around our area. So we have mm-hmm. the multiple private schools, but you can see what the private school looks like. And then the private school is across the street from the, the public school. And then, you know, there's the other public school around there. And yeah, you can see the difference, the stark difference in the campuses and things of that nature. But then also as a parent, like I'm thinking like, you know, I want my child to be with the, the neighborhood kids. Like I want them to, I, you know, I feel like there'd be a, a tougher environment in terms of not tougher as in like that, but you're with everyday kids, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like not not dis- disrespecting anybody who goes to private school. I know many people who send their kids to private school, but I feel like the public school, you would get a different experience, public experience. Um, like you'll interact with kids who you may not come from the same background, maybe come from different backgrounds, but it's a, it's a more diverse background in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I just... I don't know. I'm I'm definitely more of a proponent for the the public school. I can understand people people go to private school because I'm paying daycare now. So just translate that to darn tuition. You know what I mean? I can understand that. Um, or a, a Christian school. I can understand you wanted to shelter them from that. But I want Brooklyn in, in a darn uh, in a public school. I want her to be a public school girl, and then do all the things that public school people do. That's just my opinion. So. Well, I do have to be fair and say one of the cons that I didn't mention, uh, which I think is a valid critique that um, sometimes people have of public schools, is that they feel like they are just not um, meeting the expectations of what they are supposed to promise, Mm -hmm. right, for all children. So there are a significant number of students who are going years, right, in certain school systems and coming out and still can't read right at a certain mm-hmm. grade level can't do yep. math at a certain grade level are not employable and so that is a valid concern for a lot of parents where they kind of feel like it's almost taking a gamble on their child that and they feel yeah. like that's that's not something they want to do it's not something they want to gamble with mm-hmm. um so i think there are some valid concerns on all sides and yeah. ultimately parents just kind of have to do what's best for their situation, and I would advocate too what's best for their community situation. Um, but it is it's so many factors that it depends upon of like how your child learns, where they're at, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. what are the schools like in your area, like all of that weighs, I think, on parents' decisions. Yeah. And I think, and you know, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead, ahead Josh. No, I was just gonna no, ask was, because that it brings me to a I think a larger systemic question when you talk yeah. about like students who possibly aren't getting the best education, right? And we and we get it. In every industry, there are people who probably shouldn't be in those spaces. But I yeah. had a teacher, I had a social studies teacher in high school. I won't call her name out. Call her. Um, who would literally, <laughs> and I ain't gonna do it. Who would literally, like she, but she was studying to become a principal. And you can tell that that's what she wanted. But she was using this as because I just, I got it. This is just a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. So she was throwing us 
worksheets all the time. And the only time that woman ever taught was when she was being, um, you know, when the principal would come in and sit mm-hmm. and, you know, and mm-hmm. watch and the class. Yep. They'll get that yeah. evaluation. I mean, she would we'd be like, who is this woman? And, <laughs> and she would even promise us like extra credit points if we were super engaging. So we all put on the show. So, of course, there are teachers like that who probably do not need to be in the space. But systemically, I think I think when we critique public schools and you're right, there are some fair critiques there. But there are so many things that's happened that I think led to some of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I went to Hillcrest, and literally maybe seven miles away was Whitehaven, one mm-hmm. of the better high schools in Memphis, all black. So the, the rich, so imagine the Baldwin Hills, and then like the well, that's out of Whitehaven, one Compton, but like in terms of funding, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's how they that's how they looked at our school. So like I'm in AP Chem, and my chemistry teacher came from L'Oreal. So he would bring some of his own stuff in and kind of show us versus their their labs are stocked. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were in biology, we had to just look at videos of dissection where they literally are dissecting pigs, right? So there was there was this like disadvantage, I would say, mm-hmm. in terms of what resources were allocated to. Like we were, and then we weren't even offered the same amount of AP courses mm-hmm. because they didn't believe that it, it was enough of us to justify having those many courses on hand. So I think on one end, while the critiques are valid, I think there are real systemic issues that come mm-hmm. into play in terms of what's available, how we're prepared, how we learn, what opportunities even come our way. Because I remember like even, it's so unfortunate, even high guidance counselors, like when big stuff will come, oh, they will yeah. call like the top three yeah. students. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. wouldn't open it to You're the whole senior right. class or the whole, it would be me um, and two other young ladies that they would consistently call, and then we would be the ones consistently represented. But I was, but my AP class and some of it, it was like twenty of us in there. Mm-hmm. My honors class, it was like thirty of us in there, right? And I felt like there were other students who could adequately compete, but they never were given that level of exposure um, because we wanted we want to show them that Hillcrest does have great students. But I'm not the only. I don't. I, I, Hillcrest wasn't a monolith. I'm not the only yeah. representation of this school, right? Um, and I'm not the only representation of black educated young person. Um, so like, can you speak to that a little bit? Like some of those systemic issues or like, um, you know, how, I don't want to say the community has failed us, but how communities, I guess, sometimes lose hope, right. In the schools because of what they're facing. Yeah. I think there definitely is, um, at this point, there's a multi-generational, um, pattern that has led, Mm -hmm. I think, to people and their current relationship with, their neighborhood public school, right? Yeah. And so for most people, it isn't just like, oh, they heard one bad thing and then mm-hmm. now they don't want to consider it. Like they have witnessed generations maybe of people not get those opportunities, right? Like that you yeah. spoke to. Um, and so I think that definitely plays into it. But I think that you can't necessarily talk about those systemic issues with schools without talking about like, just systemic issues um, in general as it relates to poverty, like mm-hmm. economics, mm-hmm. like work, employment, mm-hmm. um, housing, because all of that is tied together with what school you traditionally went to, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for mm-hmm. people who um, did not make the type of money to afford them the opportunity to go to private schools. So mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not like, schools are just out there on their own, like yeah. doing their own thing unrelated to anything else that's happening. Like the the base of a school um, still largely comes from the local property tax. Like the, yeah. the mm-hmm. pool of people who are going to that school comes from 
that neighborhood. And so you do still have kind of this setup in place where um, if there is poverty in a label in a neighborhood, it's being compounded. It's being compounded by the fact that the school is now an impoverished school, right? It's an impoverished school that's seeking to serve um, people who are coming from an impoverished neighborhood. And so then that is just compounding over when you have generations of that mm-hmm. happening in mm-hmm. certain neighborhoods to the point, I think that's how you get to the point where you have some of the results, the outcomes that you see now, especially now that we're kind of in this very data-driven society where people want to see the numbers, they want to see the outcomes. And so now people are looking at those numbers and you're seeing something. I think I just read a report recently this week or last week where there was a major city that had about 23 schools that had 0% of their students that were proficient in math. Mm. Like none, nobody, nobody in school. Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So this is, so at that point, like in order to get, you don't get to that point in one yeah, that, that wasn't one. Yeah, yeah, no. that, that, that is not that is not just one third grade class showed up and nobody could do math. Like that is those are are generations now of people who cannot do math, cannot help with math homework, um, to a level of proficiency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. And to me, I feel like in those mm-hmm. situations, there's multiple factors, right? First and foremost, again, my wife is an educator. Teachers are the most underpaid, underappreciated folks in any industry. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I mean, at one point, my wife she has multiple. She had multiple degrees, and I had no degrees. At one point, I was making more than than an educator who had two degrees. Like, that is mm-hmm. crazy. So then, consider that you're underpaid, and you're probably working in a school who's in in a lower um, area. Is there a Title Nine? What is that called? Like a school that's not really funded well and stuff like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, title one. Uh-huh. Title one. Yeah, my wife's gonna kill me. I'm sorry, Lauren. Um, <laughs> so you're in in that, and then you have kids coming to school who have other issues because they're in poverty. Coming mm-hmm. to school, they can barely concentrate because they're probably dealing with other external factors, mm-hmm. right? And then the teachers are are underpaid, and then it's just to me, it's, it's just like a, a, a melting pot of just frustrations and emotions and lack of funding and it's a circle of just there's really i i, I guess the question is how do you get out of that and this is not even our question our, our docket <laughs> seat. how do you get out of that situation right because you have kids coming to school who who have so many other things to deal with mm-hmm. right uh-huh. so many other things to do and then you get to school if you're already behind then your confidence is lacking uh-huh. you know what i'm saying you have no confidence you got to read or do math uh-huh. and then and my brother used to do this that, you know, when you call it on, if you don't feel confident then you'll do something to get in trouble so you can avoid having to do the work. And then it causes it's just so many things that you can kind of deal with. So how do we get out of a situation like that? Um, mm-hmm. We came in there systemically. How do we get out of it? Um, and is it is it even possible to get out of a situation like that? Well, I'm optimistic. I think it is possible. Um I actually had a positive experience where in Harlem, I actually worked for a youth development organization um, and we were the lead, selected to be the lead community-based organization for a community school. 
which was also a renewal school. So what that meant was that the school was chosen or selected because it was a bottom performing school um, in Mm -hmm. New York state. And it was given a certain amount of time to become a school in good standing. Um, And so it had different data points they had to like report out on different support plan they had to implement. And then in addition to that, they were selected to be a community school, which the idea of a community school is that you turn a school kind of into more of a hub for service that is needed, wraparound service that's needed Mm -hmm. for that child, not just that child, but the family and the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And you do it in partnership with community organizations. And so I had the wonderful experience of leading an initiative like that. And we did meet the goal. Like the school is currently like, still operating now as a a school in good standing. And so it's not necessarily an easy task, but it is something that can be done, but it also takes, I think it takes adults being willing to um, partner with each other and Mm -hmm. be um, just be collaborative, like stakeholders. I think I've worked in all sides of education at this point. And I think I've been in a lot of situations where, people did not want to collaborate, right? Mm -hmm. People had gotten Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. into the politics of education. Education is a, it's a political hotspot, right? Mm -hmm. It like, it Mm -hmm. is a place where it attracts people who want to play politics, right? Or even if people don't necessarily come into it, wanting to do that, like it can turn people that, that way. Um, what I have found is you have to come off of some of that a little bit, right? Not mm-hmm. to say that there isn't a time and place for that, but you have you cannot get so polarized to the point where you cannot work with the other stakeholders. Like educators have to be able to work with parents who have to be able to work with coaches who have to be able mm. to work with superintendents and have to be able to work with counselors who have to be able to work with kids, especially kids who are... Um, for sure, middle school and up, like they they are able to voice what's happening in their education as well. And I feel like people get into these like little pockets where what them and their perspective is goals and they're not trying to hear anything right from mm-hmm. anybody else. And I don't think I haven't seen any problem in education being able to be solved that way. Like they're just they're just too many stakeholders for any one person to just kind of like go full steam ahead. Yeah. Even leaders, right? Even if you're the leader of a building, right? To just go full steam ahead with just what you think should be happening, I think is a recipe for a disaster because education really is one of those industries where the problems are so multi-layered and there are so mm-hmm. many different people who you are relying on exercising their own agency yeah. in order to solve the problem that if you get into a place where People no longer want to show up because they don't want to show up because you're gonna be there too. Like you, like you're gonna be in a bad spot. You need people. You need you cannot run a school where the parents no longer want to come to meetings. Mm. You're just not gonna be able to. You cannot run an effective school where the teachers don't want to do not a thing other than what is in their contract, and that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. They running out the door right at three o'clock because they are so miserable with their working conditions. Like it's, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to have a successful 
um, just from an organizational standpoint, you're not going to yeah. have a successful operation with people feeling that way. No, that is, I, I feel that because, so my wife is a school social worker. <laughs> and so she has a lot of de- dealing with parents, e- even when even when it boils down to something as simple as picking their child up on time. Mm-hmm. She had a parent who literally hung up in her face and said, what you going to do is sit here and wait for me to come pick up my child. And that's it. And it was like, either they get picked up or there is an after school program. But then while that parent is probably, you know, angry or frustrated, what it, what they also is communicating, what Ash and I have to turn on in her brain is that. She can't afford the after-school care that's provided through the school, even though it's cheap, right? It's a org- community organization who comes in and provides at a very discounted rate. But I can't. But I also can't get off in time to get them right at the two forty-five mm-hmm. pickup. So it's like, and sh- and their school sits in this emerging gentrified area. So it's one of the best schools in Atlanta. Um, very diverse, but like on one end, you got all that like. On the other side of railroad track, right, it's still them original residents. And mm-hmm. then on this side, you have all the people, you know, the, the millionaires who are moving in and sending their kids there and all these different types of things. And it's a balance of the two where you have – it's interesting because you have a certain level of support and we see what that looks like. But then we have the other parents who are dealing with some of the same systemic issues of poverty and housing and equity that exist that won't allow them to be the parent. But the, and then there's a certain level – I don't even want to – maybe it's shame, maybe it's – um, it could be a number of things that aren't allowing them, to your point, Taylor, to show up in ways that is not just beneficial to their child, but beneficial to the overall community of the school. And then we're looking at the child. Like, what's wrong with you? Do we need to put them on some type of plan, EIP? Mm-hmm. Do we need to do all these other different intervention plans that may, be, that may benefit the child in some way, but we're not addressing root causes? Like what Brian mm-hmm. said, we went to a church that was in a like very impoverished neighborhood still is and every year they ran and especially in the summer they did breakfast and lunch um because they knew there were students who only ate breakfast and lunch that was the only mm-hmm. meals they got and now their mm-hmm. school was out these kids probably ain't gonna eat so to brian's point like i'm all, I'm, I'm i may be already struggling but then i'll come to school because i'm hungry mm-hmm. I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't eight cents and then they eat so early they eat at yeah. 11 o'clock. <laughs> so yeah. I haven't eaten since 11, 11, 30. And then I'm going to have to take care of my, 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 my siblings. It's just it's, it's just compounded, compounded, compounded. And I just want to kind of link that to getting to some of the nitty gritty stuff what we're going through today. I think you got all of that going on on top of the fact that there are lawmakers now telling us that our history and who we are mm-hmm. within education isn't important. We, I think we have an idea of how we've gotten to this place, right? Mm-hmm. But why has black history in schools, like to, in the today of things, become such a polarizing topic for yeah. just government or education yeah. systems in general? Yeah. So my undergraduate degree is actually in political science. And so it's a it's a, a interesting, I think, framework to then have this other experience like with youth on top of. But I think it just goes down to the basic purpose of politics, which I think a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people in our community shy away from from politics, right? You have mm-hmm, some people who, mm-hmm. once they get a taste of it, they they want to get in there, but a lot of people are like, they, they hands off, right? Because they don't really understand it or their only experiences with it are bad. But when you think about politics, what it really boils down to is it is decision-making. Decision-making mm-hmm but not in terms of individuals. And I think this is where in our community we get messed up and we find ourselves on the short end of the stick sometimes. Politics is about decision-making for resource allocation and administration for groups of people. 
That's it. There, there is no politician out here. There's no mm-hmm. political process out here that is making a choice for an individual. Right. Mm-hmm. They respond to mm-hmm. groups. And so when you contrast that with what we just talked about earlier, when we talked about the whole school choice debate that um, a lot of people in our community and it's, it's, it's no judgment. It's just like a lot of it is just pure survival. But unfortunately, um, we have gotten to the point where people think they're going to be able to do this thing individually. And once and that might work in your little pocket for a little bit. But once you run up against politics, politics is a group game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. what you see happening mm-hmm. when you say like in terms of how how do we get to this point? We've gotten to this point, especially um, in America. A lot of us are indoctrinated where it doesn't necessarily have to be this way, but most Americans believe in this kind of zero sum game in terms of like if I get something, that means that somebody else is not going to get it. If somebody mm-hmm. else gets it, that means I'm not going to get it. So you have people with that framework, right, of this we're playing a group game and it's a zero sum game, some game. Mm-hmm. So you see what we see happening now in terms of our history is a reaction to what kind of happened in the pandemic with starting with the George Floyd situation of mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. you you see people protesting and what was the number one thing like people because that kind of protest happened in a pandemic it it gave it a little bit more power than previous protests in terms of people became a little bit more scared as to what people would do, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have more people with nothing to lose and more people in this kind of like situation where everybody at home. So they, they, they said they're about to protest. They said they're about to boycott. Like, what is that going to look like? Right. And so it was an immediate response industry-wide, like all across different industries of like, DEI work, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. You see these high mm-hmm. power, like putting people on boards, putting people in on C-level positions for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and that was scary to people who felt like they are not included in that, right? And so if you're mm-hmm. coming with a zero-sum mm-hmm. game, right? So now you have parents, right? Uh, in particular, like white parents who are at work. Now they're going through all these diversity and inclusion classes. Mm-hmm. Right it. now, it's all of these. It's all of these equity groups, resource yep. groups. I got I got this meeting every other week of like diversities on the forefront, and so now something is being taken away from me and my kids, right? Because now I'm hearing about that this same thing is happening in the schools too, right? Now everybody going through all these divorce diversity classes, all these workshops, all this thing. Like it's this huge mm-hmm. push. So mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing in terms of our history is. It's an organized, right? It's an organized group response to this perception that something has been taken away, right? That there's there's only this one pot, (laughs) right? And so if now if your history is being taught, that means my kid is not alert. You have to understand, I think sometimes you know, people try to play nice and they get into certain settings and they, they shy away from talking about certain topics. Um but at the end of the day, I think people understand um, more than people let on. They understand the absolute value in what we opened up this segment talking about, which was that that like being centered in your culture and learning, mm-hmm. right? Like that, like mm-hmm. like that. There is value in you trying to learn while you are also having your 
racial esteem affirmed along the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like people, Mm -hmm. the same way we were talking about like, wow, that was just such an amazing experience. People understand that that is an amazing experience. And so what has now shook people up is that my child may not get that experience. My ch- I, I am I also right. So people are looking at it from their perspective of like for generations, there are certain groups of people where it's like that was the norm. Absolutely. In class, like you opening books and every book that's being read about the people looking look like you. Everything that's being taught about like is your ancestry, your history, how it relates back to you. You see it in place. And so people are shaken up by the fact that like that may not be the norm for their children, right? That their children Mm -hmm. may be in classrooms where there is not that affirmation or that like just blanket, like just being immersed in it of your racial identity. And so I think what you see happening is not so much that people don't want people to learn about black history. I think that's a part of it, but I think a a bigger part of it, the overarching thing is that people want their children immersed in those kind of environments. Mm-hmm. They want their children immersed in you are learning about you and they, they know the value of that. And they are organizing and fighting to ensure that their children have that. Mm. And I'm glad you said that because that's white supremacy wants to be white supremacy forever. Uh, and I feel like that's the thing is I think they want like white folks, they want to like talk about the CRT and all that kind of stuff. They want to hear the great things that they've done. Right. Mm-hmm. We want to hear the great things that we've done as well. Yeah. All we're asking for is a holistic view Yep. About everything. Was Tell done. the whole story. Tell yep. the whole story. Right. <laughs> Tell us how the, how the sausage was made. Mm-hmm. Right. You had to kill the pig at some point. Yeah. You had to kill the pig. It's just, it is what it is. You had to do this. You had to do that. So it's not the fact that we want to demonize any, I don't feel like it's the the objective is to demonize Mm -hmm. any particular group. It's to, let's just tell the whole story. And then how can we build, how can we learn from this story? Let let this never happen again, right? And be Mm -hmm. honest about the story too, though, Brian. I think that's the other piece. Like, there's no way you can be like, oh, yeah, slavery. But no, 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 no. Let's t- like the 1619 project on Hulu. If you if, Taylor, have you watched it yet? <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, but it's on my list to watch. Yep. I've, I've been through all six episodes and they do a really, so there's just one critique that's pervasive in America. That I always say is why y'all be talking about slavery and what the 1619 project does so well in its inception, but particularly in the documentary is it ties very, it shows the clear linkage to very current issues and how it starts. So all the way back to like infant mortality. Um and um and, and maternal mortality it's like how like women enslaved women were forced to have multiple 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 mm-hmm. multiple children they may have had ten only three survived because it was an economics game for slave owners and how that level of trauma within the the the, the human body has carried from generation to generations so now there's this there's this like there was this science back in the day that said women can tolerate more pain mm-hmm. and how that's translated into hospitals today so like it, so again slavery tells a very broad picture and mm-hmm. i think well, that's what we that's what we're talking about Brian that's what i'm picking up from you anyways that we need this wide view so it's yep. not just about, oh, they came, yeah, this bad thing happened. But then Abraham Lincoln freed them all and everything was great because it yeah. wasn't great. You know, <laughs> and, like and there were hundreds and hundreds of years of like buildup. Like we said, we're saying compounding inequity that led to different types of, then we had Jim Crow. And then we had, you know, our civil rights movement we were fighting. And then we're in the today of things where we think things would be like, okay, we're good. But no, we're not. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're consistently fighting systemic issues and they're getting more creative around how they create laws and things that impact us. And now we're seeing it in our educational system. Um, 
I mean, I know me and Brian got so much more. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we are. We are. So much. We are right at time. Brian, is there any last thing that you want to ask before we wrap up? Yeah. So, in, considering all of that, you said a bunch of things. You said the fact that you know we are afraid that you know um, the schools may not look like what the youth like. I'm afraid of that. Like Brooklyn is not going to have that upbringing. So I'm going to have to do that that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all kind of things. So, I guess the holistic question would be: What are some ways? What are the best ways? Um, that parents, right, um, mm-hmm. can advocate for their children and ensure they have the best educational support and that they have everything that they need educationally, um, even if the school can't necessarily provide that for them. Black parents. Yes. <laughs> yeah, black parents. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say the very first thing is like, I'm a big person in terms of like just breaking things down. Like the when you think about like education advocacy, the very first thing is to understand what those two words mean. Like, mm-hmm. I think most people, if you ask them that, would not be able to tell you a clear de- definition of, first of all, what they think education is and what should be its aim. And then mm-hmm. secondly, what is advocacy and what should be its aim? And so mm-hmm. I would say that, like, even starting there would help things to get a lot easier. And so I would advocate for... um a black parent to sit down and to answer the question, like, what does a quality education look like for your child? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, is it being able to pass standardized tests? Is it being able to write well and participate in discourse or conversations like this? Is it being able to have the full breadth of your artistic or whatever extracurricular activities um also support it like but to have in your definition for your child or your children like what is that right because it's going to be hard to advocate for something that you don't have a clear picture of like what it should Mm be Mm -hmm. so then once you have that picture the next step in terms of an advocate when you think about what an advocate does you support and you propose so once Mm -hmm. you have that clear picture Mm -hmm. you'll be able to either support what's happening in your child's school based on that picture. Like, okay, yeah, this lines Mm -hmm. up with this. Or if it doesn't line up, you'll be able to propose something different. Right. And so to break it down to those three steps will make it a lot easier because I know parents got a lot of other things going on. But to just even have that three step framework will help Mm -hmm. you with every interaction that Mm -hmm. you have with your child's school of like, okay, I got called into a meeting (laughs) about, you know, such and such as behavior. Yeah. What do I think the role of school is supposed to be in developing my child's behavior outside of academics? And for me to have that in my mind first and then go to the meeting and saying, like, based on that, am I going to (laughs) support this suspension? Mm -hmm. Am I going to propose something else? Am I going to am I going to support like but that would help you to get a clear thing in terms of advocating for your child of like and just even in that example to say, you know what, I think for and and it could be different, right? But a parent may take that example and say, Yep, I do need help with discipline and structure with my child. Like that's what I think the school should be helping me to do when it comes to their behavior. So if they're talking about a suspension, I'm gonna support support that. Or you may come out completely different. You may come out to say like, nope, that is my role, right? I, their their role is to bring it to my attention. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think, I don't want to support this suspension. So I'm going to propose like, can we, what restorative practices do you guys have in place that my child can participate in? Like I'm going to handle 
the if there's any restrictive stuff that I need to take away the PlayStation, whatever, I'll do that at home. But here at school, I think it would be more beneficial. Miss so and so, they was cutting up in your class. Like, what can they do? to to help right is it something that they can volunteer do you have something coming up with your younger class where they can mm-hmm. come and be the volunteer like but i think that is what advocacy looks like but having that framework will help you to determine what advocacy looks like based on your child and then also once you have your child once you have that piece I would just challenge parents, even though I know it's difficult, like, okay, you have that piece with your child, then what you're doing also participate in things that affect other children, right? So is there an assembly that I can go to? Is Mm. there a school board meeting that I can go to, right? And if I can't do that, is there something I can do at home to help other parents? This is that group part, that group, like that, you know, that that group part, right? If I can't do it myself, can I be the place that my two neighbors drop their children off at and they're going? Cause I know that they're, they're more well-spoken and they're whatever, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I'm helping to provide them with childcare and they're speaking. Right. Or if I'm a person mm-hmm. where I can't go into anything cause I'm a busy career person, but I know I can write well. All right. I'm going to write down my thoughts and I'm going to send it to a group I know that's showing up to every school board meeting and I'm going to say, like, hey, I saw what you guys are doing. Here are my thoughts. Feel free to use this in mm-hmm. your public testimony. Mm-hmm. That is so good. It's so it's so crazy because Brian and I were just talking about, I was talking about this idea that I'm wanting to start to research and develop some kind of program or something around looking at community as a science. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was poli as well. And we talk about the, you know, we always go through that argument, like our social scientists, scientists, and I, we absolutely are. <laughs> yep. Um, because there's data to support the work that we do. And it's and I feel like there is so much depth in like community and the mm-hmm. technology of community. So that was like you inspired that was confirmation. Now, I love that to, the technology of community. Yeah, yeah, that is confirmation for me to continue to do this work. Um I got so much that I would that we gotta do a Brian, we gotta yeah. do part two. Yeah, we gotta we do a part, gotta part two. Do part Let two. me know. <laughs> yeah. We gotta do a part two. Um Brian, you wanna close us out real quick before we go? Cause I'm just mm, we keep talking, I'm gonna keep going. So before yeah, we go yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up. So definitely wanna thank you very much for uh uh staying for the living room for those that stayed around. Thank you for joining yes. the living room conversation. Uh, we're going to wrap up this portion, and then we're going to go over to another portion. Hopefully, you can stay with us for another two, three minutes, yeah. four minutes, five minutes, whatever, uh, to talk about Pockets of Joy. You sound good to you? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's thank do you. It. Let's go. You couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Uh, you could never, ever bring me down. Couldn't do it then. All right. We are here. Thank you again for sticking around uh, Puzzle Pieces and our wonderful guests taylor thank you very much for sticking around mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um this is a segment for those that aren't familiar where we call pockets of joy this is a segment where we talk about what we're doing intentionally yes to bring us pockets of joy something you do traditionally something you do holistically whatever it is that will bring you pockets of joy so taylor what are you planning on doing or what have you been doing or what are you currently doing uh, to intentionally bring yourself joy so to intentionally bring myself joy there are uh, a few things I'll do. Um, I'll start with one that I feel like is maybe a little um, non-conventional, but it actually worked wonders for me. Um, so when I was younger, I used to watch basketball all the time and I stopped doing it once I got older. Um, and I made an intentional effort starting like last season to like just pick certain games and like watch them. Um, okay. And so I know it sounds like a small thing, but um, – 
I was actually talking to my therapist with uh, also therapy. I think I would recommend as mm-hmm. one for people too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, not even because nothing is wrong, but just to have a person to like That's a sounding common. board, right? Yeah. And so yeah. she actually brought to my attention um, that it is a way of connecting with an in, inner child, right? And so I think mm. that that... And I hadn't I noticed that. that, but it was because okay. it was like I would just turn it on and I wasn't too much really deep into it, but it was just, it was soothing, right? And so I would, R&B, 90s R&B also is like oh, that yeah. for me too. So I would just encourage people to try that of like, find out, go back to like what you like to do when you were young and figure out if there is any way you can incorporate that into your current life. Um, to just get that nostalgic feel because yeah, that brings yeah. sometimes instant joy to just have those feelings of nostalgia. I love yeah. that. All right, I love Josh. That. Maybe I should start watching wrestling again <laughs> because that Look. was that was definitely my thing every Monday night. Um, mm-hmm. what, what am I doing for joy? This is so this <laughs> this is going to be very unconventional, but it's going to bring me joy. I am going to be content in the fact. That both of my Christmas trees are still up and they are not my coming God. down to March because I just don't feel like that. That is stress to take them down. <laughs> I'm looking at one right now and look how many ornaments are just sitting. There. Leave it I, up. It's, <laughs> at least until March, it's gonna call them Black History trees at this point because that's just what right. they are. And I'm and that's gonna bring me joy. Not stressing about the judgment that comes from Brian and our <laughs> other friend groups and the other people who are all on the inner way of saying that why Black folks do it now because it's up. It's always easier to put them up. Taking them down is so work. much work. Yes. You got to mm-hmm. put them back in the attic. And that's just, no. So that's my job. Leaving them trees up and being <laughs> content in that. Brian, how about you, brother? Um, buying records. Uh, that's been my thing recently. Buying mm. some vinyl. I listen. To, I love listening to music. Uh, nothing like vinyl. Um, mm-hmm. I just picked like five five records recently. So listening to those. Uh, and I like to buy albums. Like, what I realized is back in the day, albums were important because you could just hit play and then all the songs had to be great. So I've been looking back, buying some older stuff. Like I bought uh, Janet Jackson's Control recently. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the track list and I'm like, goodness, it's just song after song after song. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I can go to my office, put them in right now, and I can just put the record player on and just give it a listen and just take myself to another place uh, that really brings me joy. So music brings me joy, vinyl brings me joy. Uh, and that's self-care, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. All, right. all right. So before we close all the way, Taylor, could you tell the people how they can tap into what you're doing, some things that you got going on, all that good stuff? Yeah, so I do have a learning and development um, company. So you can follow me on every social media platform um, at Extruct LLC. So that's X and Instruct, S-T-R-U-C-T. Um, LLC. And that's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, You can also go to my website, which is extruct2020.com. And so I post a lot of things related to just the lifelong journey of learning and development. Um, And I am really big. My two main things are just holistic learning and development and also culture-centered learning and development. I think that everybody... um, should have the right to acquire knowledge, skills, and practice using those things in a way that promote growth mm-hmm. across the lifespan of their development. Awesome. That's what's up. 
So we thank you again that. for joining. We appreciate you, cuz, for coming into the living room. <laughs> thank you for having me. This was fun. <laughs> yeah, and kicking it with us. Um, Brian, you ready to head on over to the P.O. Box? Let's do it. I think we Let's got something in the P.O. Box. All right. All right. All right, good people. We are here at the post office box, and Rodney Jenkins did what he always does, and it's bring us our letter on time. Um, but before we get into it, we want to let you know that you too can be featured on the Jigsaw podcast yep. by writing in to ask the Jigsaw. That is A S K the Jigsaw at gmail.com. We will possibly read your letter out loud. We will give you a pseudonym because we respect your privacy and your pronouns. And then we're going to give you the best non professional therapeutic advice that you can receive on Cicely Tyson's internet. So, that being said, understood and accepted, Brian, who do yep. we have and what do they want? All right, uh, pronouns, she, her. Mm. It's Black History Month, so you got to give us a, gotta give us Ooh, a good, the last good one too, strong right? one. It's the last, the last one. Last one. Ooh. She, her. My God. We're going to go with her government name, Sarah Breedlove, a.k.a. Madam C.J. Walker. Oh, good one. Sarah <laughs> Breedlove. Breedlove is a name. <laughs> It is breed love like that's Bree a love. that's a that's a that's, that's a either a pimp or like an R&B singer. <laughs> breed love, breed mm. love. What a what a. Ain't all right, so Sarah, Sarah Breed Love says, "All yes. right, hello, gentlemen. That, that gives Madam C.J. Walker, gentlemen. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I am a thirty-something year old single woman living in mm-hmm. Dallas, Texas area, and I have desire I have a desire to be married. I have yeah. dated some great guys in the past, but none of them worked out in my favor." I am degreed, high income earning, and rather attractive, if I say so myself. All right. I'd love to see what you look like. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I would hate to think that some men are intimidated by all of that. But in my last relationship, the guy told me to chill on some of the stuff I was doing and let him have something. Let him have, let me have, let me have left him something. I think that's 1%. Uh, mind you, this is after I bought a half million dollar home. All right, sis, go okay. ahead. That wasn't a flex. It was what I wanted and deserved. Okay, we talked about that last week. But in his mind, since I did it on my own, he was like, what is left for him in the future to do for me? Nigga, who was to say you were even going to be my husband? It was still kind of early in the relationship. Anyway, I wonder if all of my achievements and status turned men away. Are these guys really like what Kevin Samuels described? <laughs> this nigga. Um, can you provide some perspective as to what I may be doing wrong? Or what else I can do. Love the show and all that you two do. Sarah Breedlove. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you want to take a stab at this first or we want me to get to it? I can stab and we can tag team. I, okay. I can start it off. First, as a man, I'm not going to tell you what you can and cannot be doing. What you may or may at not all. be doing wrong as a black woman. Right. Um, if you're looking for love, um, trying to find a husband. I'm going to say this. Man, woman, black, white. I feel like there are certain things in terms of getting into lifetime partnership mm-hmm. that we should start thinking through and preparing for. Yeah. And I think none of that has to do with the level of achievements that you have, specifically right. as a woman who's interested in men, right? right. Heterosexual, cisgender woman, as I'm assuming you are um, interested, you know, in marrying a man, right? For that person, mate, like, and there are men who are going to be intimidated by that. Yeah. That is an unfortunate fact. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere in the world I'm meeting one who just bought a half million dollar house and I'm like, we ain't got to buy no house. 
Like we got a house. <laughs> we, we, I'm moving we, into we your sure. house. Good. I'm right, moving like, into your house. And then as we partner together, then maybe we think about what it means to buy one together. Right. But like, it's not my responsibility to be like, oh, I want to do that for you. Like, and I get maybe sometimes the interest and the intrigue to maybe want to provide the home for your family or something. But like, right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not the type of man that's bent on that. So no, my short answer, and I'm gonna toss it to Brian real quick, is like, I don't think you're doing anything. Un- you didn't describe that you were like, I hate to use this word, ball busting and stuff like that. You weren't saying, like, you weren't throwing your money in people's faces. I just think that's a terrible thing to do, man or woman. Um, but mm-hmm. you didn't describe anything like that. So if it's just no. literally the fact that you are, just I, living. Hate to, I hate the reference, Kevin Samuels, but high achieving and high earning and all that other kind of crap, then you shouldn't dumb down your light for some man that can't handle it. No. Not at all. Yeah. And, and to me, I think it's more so wrong with people that, People that feel like, oh, what's left for me in this scenario, mm-hmm. what's left for me is, I think they they lack depth and substance. Yeah. Um, because if 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 you all you have to offer is to tangibly, like and physically provide like things that you probably can't provide emotional intelligence and other mm-hmm. things of that sort. Right, you probably can't cook. You probably can't clean. You probably can't. This is the man. I'm talking about the man here. Yeah, probably, yeah. Can't, probably can't clean. Probably have no emotional intelligence. Probably can't do any of the other things that women actually need. Not necessarily just buying houses, right? Right. Um, and, and there's been times I can say in my relationship where I made more. This time when Lauren made more, mm-hmm. right? And then depending on how it is right now, depending on how things work out, um, but then I never was intimidated thinking like, oh snap, like I'm like useless. Because, you know, someone can afford something that I can't afford or she made more money than me. No, it's like, nigga, even if she, Lauren can make $500,000 right now and I, and she still probably find nobody better than me. And that's the attitude I have because, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a great man to her. Mm-hmm. I support her. Um, you know, if she don't have to lift a finger, if she don't want to at home, I cook and clean and stuff like that, take care of Brooklyn. If she's sick, I got her. You know what I'm saying? There's. Yeah. There's things of that nature. So it's not really, in my opinion, about the money. There's other things that women need that outside of um, like buying a house. And if you think about it, there's a lot of women out there right now that are with niggas who don't have a lot of money, but they treat them well. They treat them like yeah. queens. And they're like, I'm going to stick beside this nigga because I know if anything, he's going to treat me right and that he has the potential to do more. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like folks that are intimidated by that, that's that's more or less on, on them than it is on you. It's just shine, like shine, your thing. Yep. shine, shine. Um, don't let anybody dim your light. And then you'll probably find somebody who matches your, your I would never turn down a woman like that. Who's degreed, has, you yeah. know, afford to buy her own half a million dollar house. Like what? That's like you bought a $500,000 house by yourself. By yourself. If, like if, you didn't need double income to do that. Listen, <laughs> if, if, if something happened to the woman guy right now, I'm looking for somebody like that. I'm not looking for somebody. You know, like I'm looking for somebody who got, who got the, the juice. Like, come on. Like, so. That's yeah. not that's not on you. Yeah, Josh. if I'm breaking up with a woman like that, it is because we like we didn't work. It's, yeah. it will never be about like I got no. three degrees. I'm not intimidated by yours, and you could have four. It's not like Ashley had no. a master's before me. It didn't. I didn't go get a master to compete with her. I got a master because I wanted one. 
Right? right. And I wasn't I wasn't intimidated by the fact that she got one. To your point, Brian, when I first when we first got married, I was making the most money because Ash wasn't working, but nigga, I was making twenty nine thousand dollars a year before taxes. I wasn't making no money. <laughs> and then when she Bruh. finally and when because she did have a master's, because we got married first year married, she was finishing her master's, she made like she didn't make a lot of money, but it was more than what I made. Um, so she was bringing in most of the income for mm-hmm. for a while. And then of course, as my career progressed, like things may have switched stuff like that, but still it doesn't it Ashley comes from a well-to-do family. There have been times Sem- where her Sem- grandfather mm-hmm. has, like, you know, God rest his soul, has stepped in and he, and he and because he's a traditional type of man was, he would call me, like, I want to make sure I'm standing in my line. I'm like, I'm not finna deny nothing you finna <laughs> nothing. give your daughter, your granddaughter. Like, I'm I'm just not I'm not that man. I'm not because no, you're really. doing something for your do- granddaughter, but it's gonna effectively help me and my family. Like, yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna I'm be not, like. I'm not proud at all. I'm not gonna be like, no, bro. You can't help her get a car. Help no. pay for the car if you want to. I Listen, don't pay care. mortgage if you want to. Man, I, don't I don't care. I don't. It's not. <laughs> I, don't I promise care. you, it's not going to bother me. My manhood like, is you're, not. You're freeing terrible. up more of my income to be able to do more for yeah. your granddaughter. Like, I'm not. I'm not that dude. And shout out, shout out to my nigga JB. He didn't raise <laughs> me that way. You know right. what I'm saying? So like, because he's not that guy, right? So anyway, because my grandparents did a lot for us. And he never stepped in and been like, mama chill, dad chill, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. I got it. My dad was like, you want to get him some money? Give him somebody. Do you want to do this? <laughs> do it. Like, I'm good. Like, I ain't got to go back. Right. right? So anyway, so I say all that to say, like, there are men out there who aren't intimidated. And then, and I do think, like, a part of our makeup as men sometimes is to be providers. But yeah. to be a provider doesn't mean that, like, I am, I should be your sole source or I should hold certain things over your head, or you should mm-hmm. be like that. Like I, I didn't want to use this word, but the, 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 the submissiveness that mm-hmm. we hear about a lot of times is a submissiveness that we should have to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then expecting a woman to quote unquote submit to you when you ain't you don't have anything to lead. You're not there's a certain level of success that you even haven't even tapped into. Like what's she submitting to, my nigga? Um, right. So all these different types of things. So sis, like you know, saying yeah, it may be a guy out there who is. Like quote unquote on your level in terms of degrees of money, but to Brian's point, there may also be a guy out there who may not make as much as you, but may be a solid dude. Wonderful. Dude. He could be a dude working at a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and we know like income limitations that rest there. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But he's a solid dude, and he and he could probably be like, I don't need you though. I can take care of myself. Yeah. He just don't make yeah. it like so. Anyway, I don't think all hope is lost. I feel like if you want to be married, uh, I will say this: what I'm even though I am married, marriage is not a prize. It mm-hmm. is a desire. Yes, um, let's say that. So, say that again. Yeah, that marriage is not a prize. Place. It is a desire. Um, yes. We choose to be married because a lot of times <clears throat> we, we we yearn for companionship in a certain type of way, and it manifests itself through marriage, right? So I don't think it's anything to 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 desire and to want that. What I mm-hmm. will say though is, do not let your identity be wrapped up in the fact that you're not a wife. Yeah. And I'll, I'll end it with that piece. So don't be so consumed by wanting to be a wife. There's nothing wrong Oof. with wanting to be a wife. But yeah. don't be so consumed with wanting to be a wife that you disregard your identity outside of that level of covenant. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's been on my heart recently. I'm glad you said that. I've been one that that's been on my heart recently for for a single ladies beside. So glad you said that. All right. Well, Brian, you got anything else before we head on over to a greater conversation? Um, no, I think we're I think we're good to go. All right, let's get into it. All right. All right, we're here at a greater conversation. For those that aren't familiar with the show, this is where Josh and I get some things off of our chest, right? We I say it all the time. You know, tomorrow's not promised. Custom folks out today. 
right? Uh, so, Josh, is there anything you want to get off your chest? Few things, probably trivial. White people, this is Black mm-hmm. History Month. When you see me walking down the street, move. <laughs> <laughs> if it's if I'm watching something, sit down. Like, get out of my way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was in the, I was in the Atlantic Station yesterday. I think I told you um, that I was hanging out with some people. Uh, I don't know if I said this before we started recording or while we were recording this. I don't remember. Anyway, hanging out with some. Oh, I did talk about. It. We was at the the time we were talking about All Star, mm-hmm. um, and inside the restaurant they had a DJ playing a particular type of music. Okay. Outside of the restaurant, because it was facing Atlantic Station, it was very Katy Perry. Mm. But that's because Atlantic Station has certain types of rules to where because Hobnob is a restaurant at its mm. core, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it has like lounge elements, right? And that's yep. just where we decided to meet up. Um, but I'm just like, don't. Don't I feel like that because that restaurant is I don't know if it's black owned or not, but it is very black presenting. <laughs> mm. Don't let them have to water down their their the presentation of who they are as a spot because you don't want it to. Basically, I think the waitress said that cause we asked her, can we somehow get the DJ set to be coming through these speakers? And she began mm-hmm. to explain like Atlantic Station rules like but black and hip hop culture is the culture. So I it don't is. know what I don't know how playing. Um, Afro beats and reggaeton and all that different kind of stuff would make it less of a Atlantic Station experience. Mm. I just don't know what that would change. So I'm like particularly irritated in spaces that still try to intentionally, and this goes back to the great conversation we had with Taylor in the living room yep. uh-huh. about how they try to erase culture and kind of deny yep. us the freedom to be even outside of education. Yep. Right. Uh, because again, if y'all play Tevin Campbell, can we talk? Yes, everybody on this balcony might bust out singing, but that is our right. And that is our yes. joy, and that is like what again shouts out last week's episode. That's what we deserve to do. So, like, we do. this shows out. This goes out to white people. This goes out to institutions. This goes out to systems that are doing every single thing to silence us, to take away the things that bring us joy, to try to put us in boxes and be like, "Oh, y'all can." It's almost like back in the day, "Oh, y'all can do that in the juke joy, but don't bring that to the public." That's the vibe right. it gave me, right. and I'm mean, I just I'm just not here for that. So. Yeah. It's Black History Month, and no, we're not relegated to like G's twenty eight days, sometimes twenty nine in a good year. Mm-hmm. But during this month specifically, yeah, since we're here, <laughs> since we are here, since we're here, mm-hmm. give us the space to authentically present in the most bold and audacious ways that we can do. And if you're not comfortable with it, you can politely just move out, move out the way. That's what Beyonce <laughs> said on Renaissance. <laughs> I'm in the club, but we all need space. Anyway, I love it. <clears throat> Um, mine's a little more trivial, uh, and this goes out to KJ Martin, Trey Murphy the Third, and Jericho Sims. Okay, how during Black History Month mm. do you allow Matthew Mac McClung McClung? I don't know how to pronounce his name to win the dunk contest. You let that white boy come in there and bounce all over y'all. He bounced. It was impressive, but <laughs> still. Like the lack of pride that y'all have to let this white man come up here on black Negro is Negro Appreciation. What is the National Negro Appreciation and Achievement Month? Mm-hmm. Let this white man come up here and do that. My God. So I'm. This is for y'all niggas. This is for the you know that y'all did y'all didn't y'all didn't gatekeep. Y'all let this white man come up here and dunk all over y'all. My so God. That's, my great conversation for those three niggas who let the white man come here. Just it was like Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes all over it, again. It was <laughs> Billy Hoyle, Sidney Dean. Uh, white man can't jump. <clears throat> Before we close out, okay. What is something? I mean, 
what is something black that you have not done Black History Month that you plan on doing before the month ends? Something black that I haven't done that I plan on doing? Yeah. Ooh, that's a great question. I don't know. So I've sat and watched, I haven't watched as many black classic movies as I would like. Yeah, that's me. I told y'all last week I watched Baby Boy at Above the Rim. I started <laughs> the month off with Boomerang. Um, I really wish I would have gotten to Soul Food and um, Waiting to Exhale and mm-hmm. um, what's my movie with Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, Harlem Nights and mm-hmm. I haven't even watched The Color Purple, Brian. Um, I haven't watched. So maybe that's the thing. I'm going yeah. to watch The Color Purple before Black yeah. History Month ends. Yeah. Um, I also haven't cooked like a legit soul food dinner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've cooked, but it has I hadn't gotten in my bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, and I ain't even eating fried food like that right now. But I will fry me some chip. Maybe I maybe maybe I could do a fish fry. Mm-hmm. I actually, hate the smell of fish in the house. But I don't think. But because we're going out of town, I probably ain't gonna have time to do that either. So, yeah. but it probably I I know I can dedicate myself to watching The Color Purple before the twenty eighth. How about you? Yeah, same thing. I thought I was gonna say I, I'm about to do a black movie marathon. Just watch all the black movies, um, and just you know. Maybe put, I'm gonna make make Brooklyn watch X Malcolm X. My God, you know, indoctrinate early. Uh, and then I haven't had any soul food this month. I'm just going to substitute what I probably would have would be like you know pork chops or something like that. I'll substitute that with like fried fish or something like that, and do some mm-hmm. soul food before the months out. So that's it. If you do if you do a pork chop, just batter that joke up and fry it. I'm just I'm just trying to do the, the seafood for this month. Oh, I forgot. oh yes yes yes, you are pescatarian. Yeah. Yeah, yes, for the month. Yeah. I forgot. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Fry you some catfish. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do that. All right. Well, with that being said, let's do it and accept it, Brian. It's another episode of the Jigsaw Podcast. We want to thank all of you, as always, for listening in. We want to thank our guest, Taylor Lewis, for coming. Thank you. Wonderful so conversation. Beautiful, beautiful gowns. Beautiful conversation. We, just, <laughs> we want to thank you. And that's my cousin, y'all. Um, my blood cousin. Her mama oh, look and my that. maternal grandmama. What sisters? My God. Um, so yeah. Um, again, Black History Month. Do white folk have cousins? Because we just don't hear them talk about it. Never. I just don't know if it's. A, I, I think it's a thing because, of course, life. But I don't know. It's a thing. Like it's a thing for us. Do they have family it, reunions? I, I definitely don't think that happens. I ain't never seen a white people. I ain't family never seen no white. I ain't never seen them in no matching t-shirts at the picnic. <laughs> Brian, um, <laughs> but yeah, thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for riding with us. Um, super excited about what's to come and how we grow and evolve. And yeah, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yeah, again, thank y'all for everything you do. Uh, we know we'd be great without you, but we're great with you, puzzle pieces. Uh, so continue to support, subscribe to all the things. Uh, give us five stars or nothing at all. Comment, let us know uh, how great we are. Share this podcast with every single person out there. Um, be engaged with our stories, right? Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Jasmine, for all the things that you do. Um, follow Josh. I am Josh Rogers. Follow me. I am Brian Hare. Follow the Jigsaw at the Jigsaw Podcast. Uh, and we appreciate you. Before we head out, Josh, is there anything you need to say or let the people know what they need to do? No, the only thing I want to say is what I always say. All you can do is what you can while you can, the very best ways that you can, but in all of your doing, please, 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 hmm. please do not get caught with your work undone. See y'all next week. Love you.